we're on live, aren't we, folks? That means there's like four of you? I'm being generous watching me right now. I wonder if Dan expected me to fill the airtime. Doesn't seem like he did. <laughs> but I couldn't resist. So how's everyone doing? You all having a good time? I can't see the YouTube comments or wherever this is streaming. So does Dan on Twitch? He seems like he's, a, he's cool like that. No one streams on YouTube anymore, do they? I don't know. The Protect Your Neck Podcast. Top five athletic cheaters in MMA with Connor Rebush. It was a unique topic with a fun conversation attached, so strap in. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. What is up, my friends? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Tom. Analysts you could find over at MMA Junkie as well as linemovement.com. But on this here program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA, but in a slightly different way. That's right. On the rare UFC off weeks, or really MMA off weeks, it's so crazy, the schedule. Um, we try to kind of look back, refresh history, and uh, you know, not just fill content in a, in a in a mundane way, but try to make it fun for everybody. And to do that, I need a co-host for this top five topic, which I'll let him set up because it is his topic. You're familiar with it if you're familiar with his podcast, the Heavy Hands Podcast at Heavy Hands MMA. It is Connor Rebush at Boxing Bush B U S C H. For those of you unfamiliar, what's up, Connor? Hey, Dan. How you doing, man? It's really good to be back on. Appreciate you asking me on for a second time. Um, I assume I'm the first guest who's ever come back to do this show a second time, so I'm really honored by that. I'm sure you are. Just don't talk to um, Zane Simon or how, however you so uh, you know uh, <laughs> affectionately refer to him over there. Just don't talk to him about his guest, guest spots. I almost got you. You almost just blatantly insulted Zane because <laughs> you're so used to hearing us do it. It is. It is. I am a listener. Uh, I am a listener, as, as I do shout to my audience for them to listen as well. You do a great job, not just on heavy hands, but the Vivi with the aforementioned Zane Simon, who, yes, has appeared in, you know, uh, maybe to, 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 to the disgust of Connor, will probably appear on this show again. Uh but, uh, but yeah, I had to add Connor back because I was just joking with him like before we rolled. I'm like, yeah, dude, I already did a replay version of like the last time I had you on for the top five hook KOs in 2018. Yeah. And it's such a good episode. I almost wanted to replay it again. And I'm like, I can't do it. Tw- I got I to gotta have him back on. What am I doing here? So uh, oh, thanks, man. I, I, I just kind of stumbled through it last time. So that gives me great confidence that we're going to produce another classic here because <laughs> I'm about as well prepared as I was then. Well, this one's a, let's be honest, this one's kind of um, a, a one that we don't have to really prepare for. I'm, I'm a prep nut even, Connor, and I, admittedly, and this isn't to deflate anybody's hopes, because I'm very excited about this show, as, as should you, but I maybe only went back to watch fights for one fighter, and that was about it. That was the length of my, I watched two fights, two and a half fights. Mm-hmm. Yep, I got I got Fight Pass and YouTube ready here, I might play some footage while we talk, give myself sure. a couple reminders, but I, I, I know who these freaks are. Well, this is um, the reason why uh, I know it is not just because I, I listen to heavy fans, but I, I sentiment Connor as he's going to, I'm going to let him set it up because it is his topic. Um, 
and it, and I do want to give credit where credit's due uh, as far as you guys, uh, you know, playing with this theme on the show. But as far as us giving the top five treatment, let, let's go ahead and set it up uh, for my listeners as far as athletic cheaters, because it's not right. too literally in each direction, but there's a nice middle ground and I don't want to step over it. I tried to explain it the best I could in the tweet. Uh, hopefully it was mm-hmm. up to your approval, but but explain to my audiences, Connor. Oh yeah, no, it's a, it's one of those. It's my specialty topic in that it is made to be like misrepresented. You know, it's made to like make people mad because we deliberately choose a provocative, uh, provocatively strong way uh, way of talking about just a fact of of life and competition. It's top five athletic cheaters is what we're talking about today, and what that means um, is that being an athlete is cheating. Uh, people people who know me may know that I love journeymen and mid-tier fighters. I have long said that if you want to evaluate the strength of a coach or camp, for example, don't look at their their top contenders. You don't look at their super athletic top guys. You look at their most bang average fighters, and that to me is the best way to evaluate just how thorough uh, an understanding of the game a coach has. So like, uh, I think John Crouch at the MMA lab is a fantastic MMA coach because uh, he produces, you know, he, he came out with Ben Henderson, who's a great athlete, um, but has also produced like, um, oh, I'm forgetting his name now. What was the grap? Yautzi Meza, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, oh yeah. Who was a very capable UFC fighter. He had like a hard losing skid and still came back to win. He was just, they're all really well-rounded, prepared guys. Um, and, you know, so that's basically the reason for the topic is that like, uh, you don't look at the athletes, the superb athletes, because they're cheating. They learn everything easily. They have gigantic margins for error. Um, they can improvise, basically, in a way that uh, normally gifted or ungifted fighters can't. That um, they can just sort of pick things up and try things. And I think it really is the margin for error is the big thing. If you're way faster or stronger than your opponent, you can do things with good technique. And it's going to be way more effective than the good technique of your uh, less gifted peers. But you can also do things with bad technique. And a lot of times it's still going to be more effective than the good technique of your peers. Um, So should we like define athleticism? Because it's always a very nebulous sort of term. Um, Yeah, yeah. Uh, Define it and then kind of parlay it, if you will, um, as as far as we're going to be applying it into this topic. Uh, Which, not necessarily negative, but again, hopefully... You're getting the gist, and it probably is no surprise that you know guys like me and Connor uh, both kind of appreciate and love a similar ilk. So it's kind of a no surprise that uh, I do sentiment with uh, the athletic cheaters. So go ahead, Connor, and, and define a- athleticism as you will, and then kind of parlay it into uh, the way we're going to apply it. Because because we're nerds, right? We like the guys who have to be technical to succeed. Right? Yeah, they don't, they don't get they don't get to coast. They have to do it right, um, and that's what we like. Yeah, so uh, the way I understand it, and I think the way it's generally used by commentators, right? For for, for uh, UFC commentators, athletic either means um, uh, like explosive, st- strong, powerful. Um, sometimes you wrap cardio into this. Sometimes durability uh, can be can be considered a factor as well. One that I always take care to point out is proprioception. Uh, balance, you know, these sorts of just the ability to improvise and maintain position uh, in like insane, unpredictable scrambles that you could never have trained for these positions. You just have a feel for uh, how your body is situated. 
And so for UFC commentators, uh, athletic either means that or it means not white. And, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we're going to go ahead and stick with the former definition. That's the one I try to use. Um, so explosiveness, I think, is, again, a term somewhat loaded over the course of UFC history, but one that I think is like the marker of what I consider capital A athleticism. It's the ability to generate sudden force to um, to change direction super quickly. Um, and these, th that is often like the appearance of explosiveness, I think, is often an indicator of good balance, good proprioception, good timing. Uh, because it's not just about being able to explode, it's about being able to do it at the right moment, to save yourself from being upended at the right moment. Um, so yeah, explosiveness, speed, power, possibly other physical attributes, chin, um, reach. Reach doesn't really feel like athleticism. Um, but you know, all, it's like I said, it's gray, sort of muddy boundaries. So now, now having these things to the extent of whether or not they would be cheating, and not in a literal term, hopefully you guys are understanding our tongue here, is what we're going to parse out and kind of rank, if you will. Although, as for usual, numbers and people were asking about, like, does it have to be exactly this? I'm like, for people not familiar, the rules on all topics and everything in this podcast is super laid back. The lunatics run the asylum. And as, you know, me and Connor discussed kind of off air, when you do these articles of ranking things, like I know many of my colleagues have, you soon or hopefully soon fast learn that it doesn't matter where you rank it. People are always going to be displeased. So I'm excited to do this episode. Uh, don't get me wrong, but in no way do the numbers and the rankings really matter. And especially for an episode like this, where I believe there's going to be a lot of crossover. This is going to be an episode that's probably high in crossover. However, if there's crossover I, I, without saying names, because we're, we're going to, we're going to, we, we don't know each other's list. We're going to be surprised along with you audience. But if there is crossover, you can be rest assured that those names deserve it. So, <laughs> yeah, there are, there are a couple of obvious candidates. In fact, I think I tried to. I think three of my candidates are fairly obvious, and two are hopefully less so. So we'll see if we have all five the same picks. That would be amazing. But yeah. I, th I think we'll have a little diversion. Yeah, same here. In fact, as we get toward my my top three, it really takes a turn for more of the let's just say the cheater side of the topic. <laughs> And a couple of them are the ultimate cheaters in that they are uh, superb athletes, but also they like pay attention to their fundamentals. So those are the guys that go really, really far. Yeah, yeah, and we'll definitely parse out those because there's a lot of different contexts and arguments you can make. Um, you know, like you know, a lot of high-ranking, popular fighters were in the mentions, which we'll get to. Thank you, listeners at the PYN podcast, to contribute. And if you're watching on YouTube, give it a like and a subscribe. Thank you. But. There's also like really bad divisions and really bad fighters whom this could also apply for. So that's kind of the fun part of this topic. We could really be across the board. Uh, Connor, I usually offer the steering wheel to the guests and we do a Chinese fire drill throughout, which we're probably going to do here with the crossover. Um, do you feel particularly strong about your number five that you want to lead off or how do you want to do it? I'm happy to lead with it. I think it's hopefully one of my less conventional picks. Uh, cool. Um, uh, that's what I usually do for number five as well. So let's let's hear yours, sir. All right, so now you could argue this is an obvious pick as well, but let, let's see, okay? Number five for me, Tyron Woodley. All right, um, and it's obviously the man can pick up new skills because his acting performance that we've all seen on Twitter lately, unbelievable. Normal <laughs> people can't pick up skills that quickly. You know what I mean? <laughs> gosh. Oh, my gosh. I hope he didn't come from a method acting school, Connor. <laughs> I really hope. 
I really hope no one talked to me. We'll know if he ever. We'll know if he ever fights again and has a substantially smaller cut. Uh, <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, I picked Tyron Woodley because I think Tyron Woodley is a great example of um, a style, a process that would not have succeeded without his innate gifts. Because um, this is the thing I think people failed to understand for a long time. And, and I, I don't fault people for this. Like we, We're generally very results-driven when it comes to evaluating what works and what doesn't work in MMA. So people saw Tyron Woodley's style working. The man won a lot of fights in a row. He was a welterweight champion. Um, and it got to a point where he had made enough defenses that people were, I think, ludicrously talking about him as the greatest welterweight of all time. Um, when he shares a division with another man that both of us may have picked. Um, Jake Shields is who I'm talking about. Sure. <laughs> so here's the thing. Tyron Woodley puts his back to the cage, doesn't move his feet. He fires one punch at a time, and it's not a jab. He, re- he almost never sets it up with the jab when he's in that more evasive defensive style. He relies on parries and hand traps to protect himself. It's a really, really shallow game. And we have seen recently, like once he basically faced people who were comfortable that they could wrestle with him or people who were actually effective pressure fighters, um, we saw that like his, his game falls apart utterly when it's just taken out of this super narrow lane. And yet he was UFC welterweight champion three, four times in a row. He had three defenses. Uh, I can't quite recall. But. Yeah, yeah, it was like three defenses like within a year, I think. So the resume was definitely like impressive, and I think people were hyping off of that and then pontificated going, he's the best ever. But yeah, that was like three within that year. Yeah, and, and, and it became clear that if he had just faced a similarly athletically gifted person who also had the right style to beat him, hmm. his game, it just game had never had to develop. And that's the thing that you also get with supreme athletic cheaters sometimes. It's the only thing balancing the scale ever in the favor of the average guys is that uh, because the athletes don't have to develop uh, games that are as deep, they tend to have much broader, shallower games, uh, they can be beaten by less athletic specialists, you know? But even then, Damian Maya is a less athletic specialist. His game didn't work at all against Tyron Woodley. Um, so, <laughs> and it's not, like Tyron, Tyron, it's not like Tyron fought a particularly smart fight. Like, he, had, he just rode these super thin margins... The entire time he was mm-hmm. champion, and just kept getting away with it, and that's that's what athletic cheating is really about: is getting away with things. I like that you mentioned that too. Whether they're getting away with it just because they're athletic and/or athletic, and are that archetype where they choose to not maybe you know adapt or add to their game like Woodley, but you just picture these figures sitting atop the mountain, and like you said, it, it, when they are that athletic and they they're so dependent upon it, you can you can you know sneak up on them. Uh, it won't always work. You know, they can turn their back and, you know, sprawl out on your head like Damian Maya, but you can sneak up on them. Um, I also like your previous shout, by the way, of good coaches for the John Crouch. I don't talk about him enough mm-hmm. or give him an, and that, that is a fantastic example, particularly how you watch their fighters in their get-up game. They're all well-trained, um, yeah. kind of like wrestlers as far as that get-up game uh, off the cage meta. They've been doing it before. It's kind of was popularized at a at a mass level, you could argue. Um, that, that is always what stands out about them is is the scrambling, the get up, like the I don't know. It's I think it's a it's a general MMA process thing. They all have really well. Like they all know what the cage is for, how to use it. They all know not to hesitate, not to accept takedowns. It's just 
good coaching. And rounding it back to Tyron Woodley, I remember um, asking, this is pre-Maga, not shtick, but, you know, Maga stuff, and before he fought Maya, uh, asking Colby Covington, like, talking to him about that, about Brian Barberena, who obviously is, like, not an athletic killer, right? He's not a guy that would be right. on this list. And right. for for what it's worth, just speaking strictly technically, with without the cameras on or whatever, Kobe was like, "Yeah, that was that's, that that guy was the toughest guy I fought." Up until keep in mind, this was before Maya and the real tough guys. Granted, but that sure. still says something, you know, about that get up meta. And you look in the fight, he had to keep working for the same thing. Now, luckily in that fight, like he did with Woodley, your number five, as we round it back, um, it, Kobe's athleticism kind of saved him. And to your point about Woodley, once he ran into another a- athlete who was. Just willing to do more, whether you like Colby style or not, just willing and willing to do more, uh, washed him out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, that's a great that's a great one. Um, he could have easily been on on my top five anywhere to kind of point how these numbers are meaningless because even though Woodley is not on my top five, like he could be right up there at like number one or two because there have been plenty of times where I'm like Ah, uh, you know, if you just, you know, the fighting close margins works the other way too, because whether it's rooting interest or whatever, even betting interest, sometimes you're like, you could just do a little bit more to this guy. Trust me, I know he's scary looking, but if you do more, he's gonna crumble, you know. Yeah, and, but and it's, it's the, just the mere threat of that speed, that power, the ability to change everything with one punch. You're not supposed to be able to do that. I mean, I know that's a fundamental part of. Uh, sports like boxing and MMA is that one punch can change everything. But like that's, we call that a puncher's chance for a reason. (laughs) It's not something to be relied upon and Woodley relied upon it. Awesome. Now it's a great number five. As we go to um, my number five, I'm also glad that you to, you know, build upon an earliest or previous note you made um, about uh, race is because when I was coming across my list, I'm like, wow, my list is looking awfully dark. I gotta I better mix it up fast before somebody. And by the way, if yeah. you're not watching or familiar, I am a person of color. Let's re- relax, relax there. But I still, I don't want any of the phobic phobias, you know, being thrown my way, right? And uh, <laughs> no, no. But all joking aside, I don't want to, you know, shout to whoever in the fight site comments said uh, every episode with Dan devolves to race science, and you probably are correct. But yeah, we, we, we dabble in phrenology over at Heavy Hands. You yes. know, we say Heavy Hands, but it's really more heavy brows, heavy Holy. occipital ridges. You know, all of these things we factor in as well. Yeah, skull analysis, please. Heavy Hands <laughs> podcast. I, I don't get that deep. But that said, um, you I mean, you want to talk about a guy who is part Simeon. Uh, and I wanted, but I <laughs> okay. still wanted, but I, listen, I, I hope, it's, it's a white guy. It's a white guy. Okay. All right. I was going to say. I had, I to, I had to get some white. I had to get some white on this list, but I just remember like being at UF, and I recently shared uh, UFC eighty four comes up on this podcast a lot. Connor and I recently shared a story from uh, being live at the weigh-ins there, and that was BJ Penn versus Sean Shirk, and Wander Vanderlei, and all these big names. But like before those guys come out, the prelim fighters got to come out, and you got who small Pajara is making his debut. So you've got this crazy guy who looks like he's been let out of a cage with a giant scar in his chest, and he's literally like ah, roaring to the audience. And, I'm looking at my buddy Steve like, what What are we watching? And then like a couple matchups later for Christian Wellish's opponent comes out making his debut. And his name is Shane Carwin. And this guy, you know, at this point, I mean, this guy looks like he's he's half Simeon, half Super Saiyan. At this point, I'm asking my buddy Steve like, is they got Dr. Moreau letting dudes out of cages back there? Like, what is what is going on? Like, you know, he, he does not look human, Shane Carwin, people, if you're not familiar for whatever reason. Go look him up. And, of course, you know, it wasn't Dr. Moreau's uh, lab. It, 
It actually was Darwin's waiting room because Tito Ortiz would later take the stage with his Dana is my bitch t-shirt. <laughs> that was that infamous weigh-in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways. Was it, what, was it Dana's? Which came first, Dana is my bitch or Gay Mesger is my bitch? Do you remember that when he called yeah, Guy Mesger Gay Mesger? That was, before, that was, that was uh, the Guy Mesger one was prior. Yeah, yeah, that was his, uh, that was his infamous callback. It, it was clever for Tito, though. You, you know, if you really look in hindsight for <laughs> the sample size he's given us, that might have actually been yeah. one of his better moments, actually, which is crazy to trash, think. The trash talk equivalent of, like, an Anchorman reference is about as clever as it gets for Tito. You know, referencing things. That's the, the standby of the, non, of the not clever. You want to talk about hard ceiling. You know, <laughs> there it is. There it is, folks. Talking about his, his skull, right? Yeah, that, that too. Yeah, back to the phrenology. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyways, but Shane Carwin is just, I mean, he, he too had a ridiculous skull because I, I wrote in parentheses versus Gonzaga here. Um, just go watch this fight if you're going to we'll go back and watch one Shane Carwin fight. He literally takes like three or at least two solid right hands, but I believe it was like three right hands. And the last one like clearly kind of almost had him stunned. And then Gonzaga gets in on a single, drives him to the fence, like steers him to the ki- and Carwin's like super stiff. Like Gonzaga was able to look like a, a pro boxer. Like he like get he, he literally gets out of the way like a you know like I don't know a matador, and then gets Carwin circled toward the cage. Like he's Carwin made him look look like Gonzaga looked like a lightweight. You know what I'm saying? And Gonzaga ends up taking him down, like starts passing from half guard against the cage, like a death spot for heavyweight grap- competent grapplers, even in that era. And Carwin just freakishly gets up, not using anything resembling of the get-up meta of today, and eats a check right hook off of the break. And after he uh, Gonzaga check right hooks him, he resets to orthodox to go a, a straight one-two. And Carwin, with no head movement at all, just plows right through it with a right hand that wasn't even chambered. It was like... Everyone like that got excited about Bruce Lee's punch and are like still like you know simping over that should absolutely be simping over Carwin Gonzaga because he actually does it. He does like the one inch punch and knocks Gonzaga dead to where Rogan on commentary is literally doing that thing where he's laughing because he can't get the words out. It just it's so it's such, it's such a stupid finish as is athletic cheaters and obvious division like heavyweight. Any any thoughts on that one, Connor? I, will, I just want to point out that stupid finishes are really one of the most reliable byproducts of uh, cheating athleticism. Like um, like Cody Garbrandt. He's not on my list, but he's an athletic cheater. That guy's oh, yeah. a great athlete. His finish of Rafael Sunsao is one of the ugliest knockouts I've ever seen. That counter should not have worked. Um, so, yeah, it, it, the Carwin one is absolutely a classic stupid finish. Um, and- and I, yeah, go on. Oh, sorry. I just wanted to share a quick uh, a thing. And again, uh, speaking of odd shouts to give or people's highest moments, um, I, I will say one of Brendan Schaub's probably highest moments. I, I, I'm, I'm positive it's him. And I'm going to guess it was from an earlier J- Joe Rogan podcast because uh, no offense to either. I just I, I haven't listened to, to either in quite some time. But I do remember something from years back, Connor. I think it was maybe one of I'm guessing one of. Brendan's maybe first appearances, he was sharing training stories of training with Shane Carwin. And this is probably like maybe why uh, they thought Brendan was funny and, and decided to push him as a comedian because this was actually a funny story, although it really was just about him receiving head trauma. But how he would pull up to practice and like have second thoughts because the trauma was so bad of training with Shane Carwin that he would pull into the car. And I, I didn't, I didn't even, I never sparred heavyweights or at, at, at that level or anything. But even like for certain practices where it was like hard sparring or team practice, I would be kind of kind of scared to go sometimes man like i totally 
not picking on Brendan. Uh, so, but Brandon's saying he's like, he's, he's like, he's scared shitless. He, he gets to the parking lot of grudge and he doesn't even want to get out of the car. And he's like, you know what? I think I'm going to go home. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to text him, say I'm sick. And then all of a sudden his phone would go off and he would just go reading it in Carwin's voice. Like, Hey, Brendan, see you out there in the car. You want to come in and train? <laughs> and then I just imagine like Brendan turning around and there's just a demented Carwin staring through the window, waiting for his play yeah. toy to come in. And I just... I love that story, Connor. I love that. And I'm like, that must have yeah. been scary as hell to be his training partner. Yeah, Carwin just sort of crouching in the corner, like picking his teeth with a bone, you know? <laughs> you you want to get some rounds in? <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. It, it made me, you know, it makes me think of, because um, I don't know, I think, uh, for example, Dustin Poirier is another guy who I think is um, underappreciated for his athletic ability, to be honest. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, especially if we start considering things like natural power as an athletic attribute. And in the same way as this knockout of Carwin's, like, I think the moment when Dustin really turned a corner is when he figured out that he could literally just throw his hands at people. He didn't have to load up. He didn't have to throw his body weight around. Just like he's tossing a baseball at their face. Just a game of catch. And uh, there's a counter in his fight with uh, Holloway that looks a lot like this Carwin one, where he's uh, even even more like unstructured. Like his feet are out of position, he's retreating, and he just whoop, just pops the left hand out there, and Max runs into it, and it snaps his head back, like he just ran into a, a lamp post. Um, and so yeah, this this definitely is a good example of that Gonzaga fight to show why Carwin doesn't even have to throw it well or chambered or anything. He just has to put it in front of the other guy's face, and it just deads him. And by the way, you want to see like an animated younger Trevor Whitman. He was not displeased at all. I think he's just said something along of like, that's fucking right. And he's just like mm-hmm. so jacked up uh, for Carwin after getting this knockout. It's great to see. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I will also bring up um, when he, uh, I'm pretty sure if I didn't, if I didn't actually see Frank Mir in person since then, um, I, I thought would have thought that Shane Carwin killed Frank Mir, by the way, back at like yeah. UFC 111. And just a fun yeah. side anecdote story. You'll appreciate this, Connor. I used to have a job. It was like reconstruction. We'd go into people. We'd go into people's houses that were occupied, like units and apartments. We'd have to have it tethered off with plastic, and we'd go into the rooms and yada yada. And there was this guy with his son, and they must have TV, like I think the TiVo just you know was still kind of relatively maybe new at this time, and they hadn't watched the fights yet. And they're like, okay, I'm like, my guys are gonna go in here and work. You guys are just gonna be chilling in the living rooms. Like, yeah, we TiVoed the fights from uh, Saturday. We haven't seen him yet, so I'm just gonna watch him with my my son and I'm like oh, all right cool and I'm kind of nerding out because I'm like I'm, a, I'm obviously a fan right and uh, I'm in the kind of the next room but I can hear and see through the plastic and this fight's coming up and I know what's gonna happen and I hear the guy go to his son he goes all right our guy Frank Mears coming up and they're, they're both like <laughs> rubbing their hands I know it's evil and I don't have anything against Frank Mir. I've been on his podcast shouts to him shouts to Richard Hunter but man, did the evil part of me, Connor, get excited. I'm like, oh, because you knew what was coming. You knew what was coming. And I had to see what their reaction, and they were just the shock and horror. They too yeah. thought Frank Mir was dead. I just had to share yeah. that. I'm sure if I could have, if I hated me, I mean, more than I already do, um, and I could have had the opportunity to watch myself uh, as a third party experiencing like Jose Aldo getting knocked out by Conor McGregor, I would also relish the pain on my face. The stunned disbelief, you know, when it's that brutal and and sudden, you know, it's just like there's no it's just a a, a vacancy fills you an emptiness. You have to distance yourself from what you're feeling until you can process it. 
I mean, that's what that's what Shane Carwin does to people. Yeah, yeah. That 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 is a gift from the universe, though. I think when you're able to do that, I remember there was a, a similar story from a podcast I listened to from the Film Vault. I don't know what what film it was. It was a Jim Carrey. I think it was I, I I Love You, Philip Morris. It starts off with like a really like rough gay sex scene, and it was like on one of those like players where you can choose from a bunch of movies on the airplane. And he saw like this clearly didn't know what he was doing, like an older gentleman like flipping through movies. And he kind of just reluctantly pressed play on the, that, and the guy was just like, oh, he took pleasure because he knew what was coming. And sure enough, that scene opens, and the guy was just quickly just trying to scramble to shut his, his player mm-hmm. down. And it was just like a gift from the universe. You got to watch some like real-life yeah. comedy play out. It was. If, if you ever want another one, a movie that I quite enjoy, but uh, you should uh, try to introduce people to Nocturnal Animals. Um, I like that movie. Amy Adams, Jake Gyllenhaal, very good. I'm going to write that down. Um, but uh, it opens with a extreme slow motion close up shots of old fat nude women uh, hopping around in like band leader uniforms. Oh my gosh! But when I say uniforms, these are the remnants of uniforms. It's it's because it's a uh, Amy Adams character runs a, an art gallery, so it's like a modern art exhibit. But it opens with no context, just these <laughs> frankly unattractive women. I'm sure they're wonderful people. <laughs> waving sparklers and just various parts of them flapping around in extreme slow motion. It's like the phantom camera style slow motion. You can really see, you know, it's like watching the, the, the agony and the thrill and the agony or whatever, but Connor, you know, you're wep- you know, you're weaponizing the guy who peddles the movie irreversible as a, as a suggestion, right? Oh, this is, this not, is, you're, 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 you're just arming me with, with ammo here. This is bad. This one, this one is also pretty harrowing actually, but I have refused to watch irreversible. So Presumably, it's not quite that bad. All I'm right. not going to Dan. You can't make me. I'm gonna. I have to add you to the list that Zane Simon's on. Actually, I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of a bet I can make Zane and uh, for some time now to get get him to watch that because he too has refused uh, it. And it only yeah. made, that's like the internet trolls. You can't say that. It's only gonna make me come after you more. But uh, if there's any way to segue from that, let's segue to number four. Mm. Oh, that's right, number four. Yeah, that's right, number four, sir. As uh, I mark the time for that, I'm trying to timestamp these better for the old. YouTube audience, did, the, did your YouTube uh, people uh, ask you for the old timestamps as well? Sometimes I can't be bothered. <laughs> I love that. Hey, see that people? You see that? Be grateful. Be grateful. I'm yeah, just kidding. That's my philosophy, kind of. Like I love my listeners. I appreciate them, but also like uh, my show is my show. So it's like uh, there's a certain amount of fuck the fans is how I feel. Like. You enjoy this thing. You don't have a right to say what kind of thing it is. It's being given yeah. to you. It's like it's F you money without the money. Yeah, exactly. It's me. It's, it's <laughs> fuck you content. <laughs> yes, exactly. I love that. I love it. Me All expressing right. my terrible personality, so allow me to do that, please. All right, let's see if we can continue the non-crossover here at number four. Because um, number five, as expected, that was cool. We had, we had two very polar different picks, but both, yeah. again, fitting athletic cheaters. So, Yeah. All right, well, I, hopefully my, my next one is also a little unconventional, although I think people would celebrate this guy's athleticism. Mm. It's, it's that it's contextual, and he also doesn't look like most of the athletes you think of. It's Fedor Emelianenko. Athletic yeah. cheater. Yeah. Uh, one of the greatest athletic cheaters of all time. Uh, or rather, it's, it's supposed to be Fyodor, isn't it? We've been mispronouncing his name his entire career, and now we can't stop. Uh, Fedor was a small heavyweight. And, yeah, I mean, he was a small heavyweight who often fought extremely big heavyweights. 
granted, they weren't very good, as most extremely big people are not good. <laughs> um, you know, when you compliment the athleticism of like a, like Travis Brown was celebrated for his athleticism. Right. He's like athletic for a guy that size. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're not going to, you wouldn't look at him and be like, oh my God, this guy is like another species. He's just like hopping around. He's so agile. He's so quick. He's so powerful. He's just a guy that big shouldn't be able to move like that. Oh, and, and real quick. No. And he was proportionate, which very few are. Uh, they're, they're usually disproportionate yeah. to heavyweight. So the fact that you're proportionate yeah. make, makes you athletic too. Right. But for a guy with that frame, he's not even as athletic as like Tyson Fury. Sure. Yeah, sure. Who's, who's, who's also athletic for his size, but is also genuinely pretty athletic. Um, all right. So my pick Fedor, because uh, Fedor was incredibly fast. By heavyweight standards, I don't think there's uh, – I'm not sure if there's ever been a heavyweight just purely faster on his feet and with his hands very, very yeah. quick. Uh, but what really stands out to me is well, – there's also the flexibility. Sorry. There's the flexibility in his game, the ability to pick up new skills, to adapt to different opponents. Fedor fought a ton of different game plans, uh, opponent-specific game plans over the course of his career. There is a lifetime of difference between uh, the way he fought Big Nog the first time and the way he fought Mirko Krokop, which is one of my favorite fights of all time. Um, he took a totally different tack. He's like, this is the way to beat this person, and he was able to do that. Most averagely gifted people do not have that amount of flexibility. They have to, as I put it once, I, I think I said journeyman's skill sets tend to grow like canyons, you know, narrow but deep. But it's depth that they can rely on. The, the sort of broadness, the ability to do a little bit of everything, that is, um, that's in the athlete's ball uh, ball court. So, ball court? Am I talking about racquetball? <laughs> I don't know what that metaphor is. <laughs> I, get, uh, I, get, I, get what, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. But uh, now you got me thinking of balls, damn it. God damn it, Connor. <laughs> it's always on this show. It's really just a front, isn't it, to this talk is, about race, is. science, and gay porn. Well, I, I, um, hey, listen, I'm, 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 Agent Ben Ten's already been hitting me about coming back on, so don't step on his topic, okay? But yes, that's right. Well, I'm only into softcore gay porn, actually, or as I call it, MMA. Um, so, so the other the thing that really stands out to me about Fedor, though, is what I was talking about before the um, the coordination, the balance. Uh, when you see Fedor tie up with people, um. You just see like an incredible ability to either throw somebody or not get thrown. You see the ability to be on one leg and suddenly shift direction so that his hips are denying the opponent the throw or taking them off balance. You see, uh, you know, overhook, uh, overhook uh, like reap throws that don't work, and then you end up with these crazy scrambles. And Fedor is like always ending up on top, always escaping. Um, granted, he did play guard, I think, a lot more than modern heavyweights would. But um, he didn't have to, and he was just a just a devil to scramble with, like just so difficult to outmaneuver, even with full-on body-to-body contact, and exactly the kind of exchanges where you would expect the guys who were just bigger to have the innate advantage. And Fedor would connect with these giant guys and then just run circles around them. Um, so, yeah, I think Fedor is one of the most incredible athletes ever, to be honest. And certainly by heavyweight standards. And if you know heavy hands for athletic cheating, you also know how we feel about heavyweights. 
Yeah, I like that because uh, Fedor is one of those weird ones. Like, for, he could fit a lot of lists, and I totally agree with him being on this list, by the way. But it's funny because I don't think he's on my top five unassuming heroes in MMA list, Connor. But, like, he could totally be, like, a top five unassuming hero, you know? But you can also make the argument, yeah, is an athletic cheater because you're right. There is no way he should have been able to be, been doing that at his portly frame, which you could make an argument for another heavyweight that's maybe not on my list but could be worthy of being on this list. And heavyweight is one of those ones where it's both an obvious division for athletic cheaters because if you're just athletic, you're immediately cheating in that division. <laughs> in many eras, by the way, um, including yeah. including including uh, our current one. But um, but it also is like a very unassuming one because it does produce the Fedors, right? Who, yeah. on one hand, could be, if we're doing top five dominant champs, you could certainly put a stretch on there and no one would blink twice um, or argue with you too hard. Uh, but... He also, you know, fits the athletic cheaters because a name that I know is on someone's list. Uh, we'll get to it on listener mentions, um, but it's a, it's a name that I thought of, which was Kevin Randleman for athletic cheaters. But then I immediately think of his most stupid athletic moment is a highlight of him getting reversed. And who is he getting reversed by? Fedor. Yeah, his most incredibly athletic moment is in a fight he loses to a schlubby looking dude. <laughs> yeah, and I think Fedor probably Fedor had like. Um, he had like a, a smaller weight sumo kind of build. Like he was, he was pretty clearly athletic when you knew what to look for. He had like a strong man physique. Man had yeah. thick legs, had a, a very strong back. You know, it's just that he had like a little softness around the middle because he didn't have to cut weight. But uh, I think he he was less schlubby than he appeared. But it just I added to the joy of seeing him beat someone like Randleman, right? That he's like. Got a little hairy tummy going on. Yeah, absolutely. And if you knew anything about Randleman, you knew that that dude was an athletic freak. Um, and I like this too because it's an older pick that, that that reaches back a little further, which I tried to do, but they all mine ended up on honorable mentions. So the oldest one, I guess, probably like Carwin. Um, again, another heavyweight, a different different organization. They never got to cross. Um, but yeah, a complete different prototype, obviously, as well. But I, I love it, man. I love it. I don't think it's going to segue much to mine because even though Fedor was a small heavyweight, he was still a heavyweight. And we're going to jump down to maybe the lightest men's division or near it as he now fights at bantamweight. Um, mm. John Lineker. Feel it. John Lineker. Wow. Yeah. Even literally up to the surname, Dan, I thought you were about to say John Dodson. Ah, he does end up on someone's list, so we will we will talk about him if he doesn't end up on yours, um, which is it's another good name there. But I actually went with uh, Lineker, and he beat. I know it was a split, right? But didn't he beat Dotson in that fight? That was it like a five rounder in Oregon, Portland oh, or something. What an amazing fight that was! Yeah, he did. He beat Dotson. Yeah. Although it was very that was one of those ones that it could have been a draw. It could have gone the other way. I don't think anyone would have complained. That's how I remember it too. Good, good. Okay. Mm -hmm. But him is more, and you were kind of checkboxing this off the top where he checkboxes like the durability, you know? Like, yeah. it just, it is stupid. And the cheating, like, I, I, I'm sure he has a lot of his fence grabs and, you know, convenient ball shots to take a to take a break. And we'll, we'll talk about those, I'm sure, with a lot of selections coming up because that, that exists even at championship levels, which I believe you specialized in, right? Some of the best fighters actually cheat. Was that you, Connor? Oh, yeah. I 100% believe that. that yeah, of yeah. Everybody cheats. Why would you not? So that, that that feeds into this topic as well, right? And so shouts yeah. to you on that. That's great. I think you're the only person I've heard really kind of – and it makes so much sense, and the examples are all right there if anyone wants to get mad at that. Like there's so many examples, which we will talk about some on this show, by the way, folks. 
Um, but back we, we to will. One, of, back, one of my picks will have a very notable example of actual like rule bending cheating. So nice. Well, John Lineker cheats definitely with the weight and uh, as well because you know he just mm. even at bantamweight. Don't put it past him, folks, to step on the scale. I mean, this is a guy that just like literally he bought a PlayStation with his per diem money for his UFC debut in one of my favorite flyweight fights against Luis Gaudino. Like that, that's what he did. Like Alex Davis shares a story that like he was begging for like cups of water at like the food court and stuff to eat because he spent his whole UFC per diem. He got so, so stoked and bought a PlayStation because he's so poor. Like he doesn't know. Yeah. Like my, my my colleague John Morgan, I think before he fought, like I was at Alf Tech at Oskalich or something like over in like Macau. Like, my colleague John Morgan at MMA Junkie, he's there covering it, and he's like, yeah, I see this dude. I don't know if he – I think he actually might have made weight for that fight, but he is straight up, like, crushing pizzas by himself in the food court at, like, 2 a.m. Like, do, you consider, do you consider that an athletic gift in and of itself? I mean, for a guy like like myself where, like, I had to kill myself to get to, like, weight classes, uh, to get to certain weight classes when I competed, whether it was grappling or MMA, it, mm-hmm. I definitely have that radar where, like, there's an envy where if I see someone that can make weight and still be athletic, they can still look yeah. better, perform better than me when I have to, like, fucking work hard months just to get a little inkling of a six-pack because yeah. I've got that BJ Penn Cabbage Cahaya thing going. It it sucks, yeah. man. It sucks. Uh, so, uh, you just named two of the hottest fighters, so I don't know why, why that – you had a sort of unflattering tone, but – those are two of the sexiest dudes in this sport. Cabbage Patch yeah. Kids turn into fighters. Yeah, big heads. There we go. <laughs> it does give you this weird feeling, right? I guess seeing that. Um, I don't know if people can tell, but I've actually never cut weight. Uh, but uh, it, it must give you that feeling that, like, there's some kind of nuclear reactor inside this guy's body that is just consuming vast amounts of fuel and turning it into some athletic resource that I don't have. It's like yeah. when you hear about Michael Phelps or Manny Pacquiao eating 10,000 plus calories a day, and you're like, even if I were in incredibly good shape, I wouldn't have to do that. Why? Yeah, exactly. Like, And, and not only does he not take it seriously and still show up on fight day, Connor, and, and to the audience, but like, A, he has ridiculous power, which I think is a checkbox, but me... Be more so the durability. Like when I wrote up, mm-hmm. when I write about this guy, I haven't written about him in a while, but I went back to look, Connor. Like I remember using this example where I'm like, it's almost like he's smirking, like he knows he can't be hurt, like he's Super Mario and he just acquired the star of invincibility. And like yeah. it, the soundtrack we're watching is a crazy fight, but in his head it's and he's just chasing his guys around the cage and he's trying to get them and corral like before his time runs out like that is a john lineker fight you know it is best at least anyways he makes well i think you you did you touched on something else that is uh, a very very important byproduct of athletic ability uh probably the most important element of fighting overall or of any kind of performance or competition which is just confidence right like yeah. Everybody can sing, for example. There's there's like maybe 0.01% of the human population is actually tone deaf. They can't tell the difference between different notes. But everyone can sing just as easy as they can talk. It's just that you're confident in your ability to talk. At least some people are. Some people find talking as difficult as singing because they're not confident. Um, and I think that applies to everything. If it's public speaking, if it's fighting, if it's any kind of you know stand-up comedy... Any kind of performance or competition, just like believing in your own ability, and really especially in fighting, believing in the opponent's inability to stop you, uh, not worrying about what they're going to do, is huge. Uh, as 
Conor McGregor uh, said famously earlier in his career, right, which one of the truest things he ever said is that when you're trying to beat someone, you don't focus on what they do. Like, yeah, you, you maybe want to have some awareness of their game. You maybe want to prepare specific tactics, but you think about what you're going to do to them. And one of my other favorite coaches, Rafael Cordero, uh, that's his whole thing is confidence. Like he has spoken specifically about boosting confidence with his corner advice. He doesn't, he tries not to give negative, negative advice, doesn't tell his fighters what not to do um, more than he just focuses on like, what is, how can I be positive and make, give you a path to success? And athleticism does that whether you have a good coach or not, because you know, you can feel you're a superhuman. Um, yeah, I don't think I would have thought of, of John Lineker, but definitely like the confidence born of his physical attributes, it can't be denied. Yeah, and you can see it even when he was facing more experienced guys who thought he had it in the bag, like Ian McCall, who granted was on a downfall of his own, but you just saw the surprise in fighters, like, what the frick is going on here? This doesn't make yeah. sense. Yeah, absolutely a cheater, yeah. Damn oh, <laughs> damn you. All right, so this is what I predicted. I th- predicted we would steer clear a crossover, but I think the top three, this is where we're going to get get into the, the territory, sir. Um, does your... Uh, does your top three is is that one of the is that is, is this where uh, your list turns up even higher as well? I think so. These these are these are also a lot of them the guys who are both athletic and technical. Um, so That's I guess good. boy, it feels like a crime to put this man at number three, right? This is where I start stressing out, like thinking the rankings themselves matter. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go ahead and say George St. Pierre. Nice. No crossover me. so far, but I, I... Okay, all right. So he's not even even in your top three. He's written down here. He was he was really t- t- tough to make it. Um, t- tough to make the list. Uh, you explain why he's on your list, and I'll sign off where I sign off. And if I if I differ as, as far as why I, he ended up being off mine, I'll, I'll chime in. But, but but go ahead and set up GSP. Well, GSP is um, of course renowned for being. A fantastic technician. I think people focus on that, um, and as a result, sort of underrepresent his athletic ability. Here's the one thing you need to know about GSP to know how athletic he is. This man's background was in what was it, um, Kyokushin karate? Yep. Not. I mean, GSP talked about uh, deriving his sense of timing um, from that background, but if you've seen Kyokushin competition. It's not the karate you're thinking of. It's not like Lyoto Machida's Shotokan. It's not like we keep a distance, we're trying to time each other and create one destructive collision, uh, one perfect counter. Kyokushin is actually very far from the one perfect punch philosophy uh, of those kinds of karate. It is like a brutal attrition sport. Um, Knockdown karate, they they call that sort of form of competition. Um, And I don't know if GSP did knockdown competition or what, but here's the thing. This guy comes from a karate background. What did every single wrestler he ever trained with say about his wrestling? They said, this dude is one of the best ever. He's phenomenal. This guy comes from, like, wrestling is the background for MMA still to this day. Uh, or something comparable. Some sort of wrestling art, I think, is is the best foundation. And GSP didn't have that foundation. And then he goes in there and out-wrestles Josh Koscheck. Um, beats the, like, at that time, famous takedown defense of Thiago Alves. Yep. Uh, name some others. I mean, GSP... Well, even, even early... Josh Koscheck, I think, was a really, like, uh, 
you know, a coming out party, if you will. But even if you go back before that to Frank Trigg, I know Frank Trigg it didn't age like particularly well in Hall of Fame wise, but he was a legit content, top contender. He was the guy that produced Dana White's favorite fight that gave Matt Hughes the run for the, t- you know, like yeah. at that time, that was the guy. And, you know, the, uh, I think what was Trigg? I don't have his stats, but he was, I believe, like an Olympic alternate up until that or at least a, a team member as far as that training goes. Like, he he was a, high, a, a higher world-class, you know, esque wrestler, I believe. Don't quote yeah. me. Um, but, uh, but yes, yeah, and he, you see him again, back to the Lineker comparison of just opponents looking like, what the F? I'm supposed to be the more experienced MMA fighter and a wrestler, and that's what I just got my ass kicked in. Like, yeah. George St. Pierre was doing it early on in his career. It didn't make any sense. Right, yeah, pe- people remember the second Koscheck fight. For example, I mean, Matt Hughes is another obvious example. This dude came in as a, a young dude and purely out wrestles Matt Hughes. It's um, <laughs> not supposed to be possible. Yeah. Uh, or, or Sean Shirk or, you know, like sure. all of these yeah. guys. GSP is the guy who disproved BJ Penn's like uh, incredibly natural takedown defense. BJ oh, that... Penn was the guy. Sorry, I was just going to say that double. Uh, I replayed in my head that double that he hits on Sean Shirk. Which is insane because if you imagine how short Shirk is, he drives yeah. under and does the flipping of the legs up in the air like Sean Shirk yeah. used to do to dudes, but George did it. It was crazy. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. No, that's fine. So so I think yeah, you can see the athleticism in those actual exchanges, but also just the fact that he was able to pick those skills up so relatively late in life um, and to a degree that he could outdo people who had been specializing in those skills their entire lives. Um, and GSP definitely has more than anyone else the the breadth of game that I talked about before. Like t- to a degree that there's actually quite a lot of depth in this widespread, right? Like GSP has a phenomenally well-rounded jiu-jitsu game. He is not just an incredible athletic shot wrestler. He also has a a vast skill set of uh, of wrestling skills in the clinch and on the mat. I'd probably say probably the shallowest part of his game is maybe his striking. Um, at least coming from my like boxing perspective, like GSP still can't throw a one two, uh, but even that sort of demonstrates like just with having his uh, innate timing and speed that he was able to completely shut people down with just his jab. Yeah, um, in so many fights. So yeah, to me GSP is like one of the most technically proficient fighters ever, one of the smartest fighters ever, but also clearly one of the greatest athletes of all time. Absolutely, yeah. He, I, I don't disagree with any of that. Um, I guess I just maybe left him off the list is because he was just also so technical and in comparison yeah. to a lot of people on these lists or put, you know, regardless of the aging or who was doing the strategy or the aging of the camp strategy or whatnot, there was clearly, that was clearly an edge and an emphasis, right? Um, you can't deny that. Mm-hmm. Even in, up until his his last uh, random performance against Bisping. You know, there was a lot of strategy and as far as attacking the bad eye, et cetera, like that. Um, so maybe that was what edged it out. And there's another fighter who I won't mention because he'll probably end up on this list because he fits a similar things that we can say, both, you know, pro and con or whatever. But uh, yeah. I'm also leaving him off the list as well because I'm, I'm almost positive he will be on your list and you're much more better suited to talk about him. So uh, well, can, can I add one more thing actually yeah. about GSP? Yeah, it's yeah. just an interesting sort of inversion Please. of something we said before. Um, we, we talked with John Lineker about these these innate physical attributes, breeding confidence. GSP was so athletic, he didn't have to be confident. <laughs> He's to sort of point. famously unconfident in a lot of his fights. And it being such an important thing for fighters, he was able to rely on A, skill, 
and the mentorship of Faraz Zahabi. That's one of the, those perfect coach-athlete pairings. Um, but also just like he could, to a degree, just kind of feel it out and figure it out as he went along. That, that kind of... Ha- oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go. No, no, please, that's all. I was just going to say, that hammers your point home, really. Like, that, that actually, your previous point, that, that, that pretty much hammers it home to where you don't need confidence when you have athleticism to that, to that degree of cheating. Yeah. Tyron Woodley is another great example. Like, I don't, I think Tyron Woodley is a quite an insecure, not particularly confident guy. And yet, look at how far he was able to go, just sort of uh, putting a bunch of band-aids over himself with that, that athleticism, just sort of uh, covering, covering for it. He's going to need a lot more band-aids, though, huh? Need a yeah. I'm not sure if they make one that's like this shape. <laughs> but oh. if they do, he she yeah. He should invest. The ever giving content of a uh, uh, fountain of content that is MMA. The ever giving. Yeah. Oh man. Um. And I, and I, I guess I'll add on the GSP note too. Um. Is that like this was also the moment like just to speak on his freakish athleticism. Like this is the moment that you should have known that uh, BJ Penn was really gonna get his ass kicked. Uh, before the second rematch was not because he said to the death, because we know that. And by the way, it, it, we should see more corner stoppages, but we know how that ended, right? But if you were really listening to him, I, there was this moment I remember in one of the countdowns where he was like, he was trying to talk shit about George, but it just came off as jealousy. But again, it's a jealousy that I'd, I'd be lying if I if I said I didn't understand. And he goes, oh, this fucker eats cheeseburgers and he's got six packs. <laughs> and it was right there. You should have known in hindsight. That's when he was defeated. That's when BJ knew. There was no chance he was winning that rematch. Yeah, the first fight was the closest already, he'd ever get. That's not a that's not a trash talk. It's rationalization. You know, he's like he's already telling himself this isn't fair. It's not fair what this guy's about to do to me. He was going through food withdrawals. Let's be fair. I mean, BJ and food was like a, a, a lifetime smoker being away from their cigarettes. You know, he's probably yeah. just cranky like that motherfucker. <laughs> he can still look good. I, <laughs> I wouldn't know anything about food or smoking, but I'm a better man than BJ Penn. All right, I'll, and I'll I'll stick by that. Yeah, I should have picked him just to I should have picked him just to like trash talk him. I if you hang out, Penn. if you hang out by the lava shack long enough, you can prove that you're a better man. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, jeez. This is why I, I used to be a BJ Penn fan, but he is uh, he is banned from my list. By the way, on these lists for me <laughs> for obvious reasons. Yeah. He's always been a he's a spoiled rich kid. He's annoying. Yep, yep. Um, we got number who's it? What, what number are we on now? Three still, two. right? Two. Oh, you're three. That's right. That's right. That's right. GSP was a good one. I thought we were gonna have crossover. We we probably will with my three. I'm guessing. Um, this was uh, probably one of the more obvious picks. Maybe that's why he falls right in the middle for athletic cheaters. Um, you what? You Romero, the Cuban, the Cuban uh, muscle crisis there for a. Uh, Shouts to the co-main event podcast. Um, is there a crossover, Connor? Yeah, what do I do if that's my number one? That's your number one? Oh, jeez. Well, I, I apologize for sinking your battleship. I can swap out my number two since the order yeah, is arbitrary we'll, anyway. We'll, we'll, just, just just adjust your list. We'll, we'll note that it's your number one. I'll set it up, and you, uh, you you spike it down like it's a volleyball match. Sound good? I'll set up the pick here, and uh, you, can, you, you, you spike it on home because it's your number one. Sound good? If I were Yoel Romero would be very easy to spike that down even if i'd never done it before but yes take it away you could do it with any of your 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 five or six appendages depending on how you look at it yes (laughs) that's right i mean geez yeah yoel romero i mean obviously uh an athletic freak like not only does like confidence matter like i don't think age 
I don't think age matters. Like, nothing really matters to this guy. Like, I, I, I feel like he doesn't even know. Everyone's like, oh, how old is he? Like, the funny thing is, like, why don't y'all ask Yoel Romero? Because I don't think he knows. Like, I think if you were to ask Yoel, but I don't know, Jota. He would do the thing, like, when he gets caught, like, grabbing a fence or hanging out in a corner too long. He just, I don't know what you're talking about, Daniel. What you, no, I don't know. And he wouldn't call me Daniel, by the way. He would probably, he's the kind of dude who probably would call me Chinito the whole time, you know? Be like, no matter how many times he's telling like, no, Yoel, my name's Dan. Okay, Chinito. What's up? Uh, oh, that's a very good Yoel, by the way. What's, uh, what's Chinito? I'm guessing that is, uh, it sounds like uh, Chino. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah, it's a okay. you know, it's a form of oh, it's little Chino, it's little Chinese Chino. guy. It's it's a uh, it's 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 an endearing term for Chinese guy. We'll just say that I was called that a bunch on construction sites, and I could totally see UL just. <laughs> the day the day I found out that Marcos Maidana's nickname was Chino because he has narrow eyes, I was like, I've heard so many Chinos, I never knew. That that's yes. What it meant. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a great deal. Well, now my theory has been um, in part because he has the voice of a man who is definitely more than like forty-two. Oh yes, absolutely. Uh, I think he's uh, approximately nine point five thousand years old. I think when uh, the walls of Jericho came crumbling down, Yoel Romero emerged from the earth. He's an ancient Babylonian demon god um, who just defies the laws of physics. That's why he was going to be my number one because like. Nobody can do the things Joel Romero does. Joel Romero also incredibly adaptable. Like um, his fight with Polo Costa was a totally different Joel Romero performance than we'd ever seen. Suddenly he's like this relaxed, jabbing, counter-punching pocket boxer. He never had those skills before. Uh, it's like he just suddenly realized, oh, I might need those for this fight. Sorry, my Joel's not as good as yours. <laughs> and... And he just, like, becomes a different fighter. And he has done that numerous times throughout his career, just become a different style of fighter. Uh, this was a guy who was, like, a one of the best wrestlers ever, um, who arguably had, like, a could never quite make it in elite, elite competition. But I think that was often more of a mental thing, because, like, clearly, physically, Bill Romero is insane. Uh, but this is a guy who was so otherworldly confident um so comfortable and so uh so willing to think that he could just figure it out as he went that he just didn't wrestle for the first what 10 fights of his career he, the story is essentially that he stopped even training it he was like ah, i don't want to do that wrestling stuff anymore i'm going to start knocking people out and that's all he did what the hell he was already 36 years old or something like that it's not fair it's not fair yeah, like, I guess his brother was a boxer or something. I'm still sketchy on those yeah. notes. I'm sure you're more familiar with that. His brother is a boxer, yeah. I have to uh, actually double-check. I'd have to double-check to find his name. He's not as he's not quite as prominent, but that's all, it's also harder. This allegedly his more. brother. Oh, is that a... I don't know, I don't thing? know. No, I don't know. It just Everything seems allegedly with you well, right? That's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, an, he's, he's, an, he's an enigma. He's an enigma, yes, he is. Absolutely. I. Uh, oh, my goodness. Yeah, a lot of a, a lot of great notes there, and I hate picking a a a, a gift to go along with the, with the tweet out because it always kind of burns the top. But it just it was too obvious not to go with with a picture of Yoel with his like ridiculous takedown defense where he springboards up like a aforementioned Super Mario character for that reference. Like this, yeah. the insane stuff that he is able to do just really doesn't make sense. You got to have him somewhere on this list. 
obviously some of that is the wrestling skill set. I mean, that helps in those particular moments, um, which is the only reason I emphasize like the striking stuff. But even then, like Darren Elkins isn't wrestling like that. Darren Elkins is a good wrestler. <laughs> He's got a, a wealth of wrestling experience. Um, He's not wrestling like that. I appreciate the uh, Yoel co- co- comment, but I will say Connor's got a really good Australian accent. People, for those unaware, so he does a good. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I mean, not, not that there's a, not that there's an opportunity to do it here, but you know. You're just saying it, hoping either Zane or Phil were listening and groan when I say, "Hello." <laughs> That's the only word I ever do. See, uh, Yoel's, not, Yoel's not Australian, but maybe you could be like one of the people in Australia when he missed weight to fight Luke Rockhold, and you're you're asking him if he's all right. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to. Um, <laughs> I just thought of another person that ties into Romero, so I'm gonna I'm gonna swap Romero out. He's no longer my number one. Okay. No reason other than I have a, a new good example to talk about. Okay, in that sense, because I'm afraid to burn another one, and but it was two to one, and I was gonna have to go next. So, yeah. do you want to give me your actual number two? I'll give you a number two sure. if you have a new number one. Does that make I, sense? I do. Does that make yeah. sense? Should I get my number two? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I still have two to go, and if you're gonna insert another one, and then I would rather have you go first because I don't want to burn. An, I don't want to sink another battleship with this next one. That's that's fine. All right, well, my number two is um, an obvious pick, really, just because I'll take any excuse to talk about him. It's Jose Aldo. Nice, good. I'm glad Jose you Aldo. Out there. Absolutely. Is there a crossover there? We have no, no. There? That's the one I said I, I left off on purpose, hoping you would, you yeah. knowing you would put on. So good. That was an easy give, right? You, you knew I would, I would bring him up if I had the opportunity. And this is an obvious opportunity to talk about it because if we were doing top five technicians or top five athletes, Jose Aldo would be on there for me. Um, it very much in the GSP category. Uh, just as well-rounded, I think, although much more narrow in what he actually liked to do to people. Um, whereas GSP was way more willing to be flexible. Maybe that comes down to Jose Aldo being naturally more confident than GSP. He knows what he's good at, and he's going to force people into his game. Um, rather than sort of, like, trick them into his game like GSP often seemed to do. So, uh, Aldo's just a freak. Like, Aldo is also, um... You know, he, he's, he's, he doesn't benefit from the fact uh, that, like, Yo Romero has not taken a bunch of punches throughout his pre-MMA career. Although, granted, there are plenty of concussions in wrestling. Um, but it's, I think we, we, we all know it by now, it's what we suspect strongly. It's the accumulation of damage that causes a lot of CTE and eventual durability issues and things like that. And Jose Aldo has certainly had more of that than uh, Yoel. He's had a long career. And yet, in much the same way as Yoel, his prime hasn't ended the way primes are supposed to end. You know what I mean? There's supposed yeah. to be a there's supposed to be a falling off point uh, for a human MMA fighter, where suddenly something gives and it's like systems collapse. The whole the whole network it's just this really fragile sort of web of skills and attributes. And when one thing goes, usually the whole thing starts to to crumble. Jose Aldo is like he still looks amazing. He, that fight with Peter Yan, like Peter Yan is, I, I, uh, let me put it this way. I've celebrated GSP as a reason he's like my number one pound for pound of all time. And it's that he is uh, one of the only champions to successfully face and hold back representatives of three distinct generations of contenders. 
uh, like he outlived his time. Most people, they sort of slot right into a generation and they, they are become irrelevant when their generation becomes irrelevant. And GSP just kept holding back new waves, like new sort of metagame ideas of how to solve his style. Jose Aldo didn't quite get that because Max Holloway and Conor McGregor both beat him. But now that he's no longer champion, Peter Yan, like if that's not like fourth generation MMA, what is? Like he is so much the post-Max Holloway MMA metagame. And Jose Aldo went in there and fought one of like the best looking fights of his entire career. Didn't win it, but he's still in there making Peter Yan fight tooth and nail. Uh, after losing his championship, after moving down a weight class, after a lifetime of struggling with weight cuts, the guy makes the idiotic decision to move down to 135, and he's still like a top contender, clearly one of the pound-for-pound pound best fighters in the world. I don't. How do you do that? Yeah, that's that's. I love that you're really using that as an example because for me that was, even though he didn't make my list because only by default. By the way, I knew you were going to put him on here, but it's that post prime Aldo that really sold it to me. I remember being there at UFC 200 to where that's the first time you see Aldo at least visually just on his face looks older. You see his balding. He has a mustache that just he just he like made him look like he aged overnight. But if you looked at his body, you were like, wow, yeah. he looks like he's in shape. Then the next night is the fight with Edgar, and I may have picked Edgar neither here nor there, but let's just say I, I bet you without looking, the odds, the projected odds were probably tighter than how the match played out um, because oh, yeah. it was just some of the best, and I know you rant and rave and have used it as well, and, and as well as Patrick Wadman, shouts to him. Like, that was, the, that was a fight you guys have pointed to when just showing some of his amazing defense, right? Um, yeah. That apply in, in stupid ways that they don't make sense, and it was like, wow. And, and you know, yeah, he would go and, and, and you know... Um, lose to Max Holloway in the next fight, and, and I, I picked that, but only because of a stylistic thing. It wasn't because Aldo was done, which he would later prove for people that were saying that he was done in matches even before the Yon one, you know, when he fought Moicano yeah. or Stevens. I, I believe I actually might have even picked Stevens in that fight, you know what I'm saying? Like, I was dead wrong there. Like, and he, he comes out there, and he's, he, he's Jose Aldo of old. He's like, oh, you thought, uh, you know, narrative of me not kicking for, like, oh, the better part of a decade? Let me just bring that back now, you know, just... It's crazy. I'm just going to get over these, yeah, what, what seem to be endemic problems. I'm just going to decide to get over them because <laughs> that's a thing people are supposed to be able to do is just like, because clearly there was like some deep seated insecurity about the low kicks that like um, you could see the pattern of when they started to vanish from his game that people just started countering them. And he, he was such a defensively minded fighter. Uh, the, the longer he was champion, I think it was probably a great deal of pressure on him. Um, he was, it was very much like a, they can't have what's mine. I think that was his mindset. Some might call that fighting not to lose. Um, but uh, when you fight not to lose successfully for a decade, it's, it's pretty damn impressive. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and, and Aldo, I don't know, he, he just like is like, ah, you know what, I guess I should bring the low kicks back. He just gets over what was like, I think, a real like anxiety-induced uh, lack in his game and just brings him back. I don't know how he does that. The, the main thing, though, just like GSP, Aldo does not have a wrestling background. No. <laughs> Aldo's maybe... Um, now, you don't see it like offensively ever, and maybe that part of his game is shallow, but the from, from the narrow slice of his wrestling that we get to see, you would have a strong argument that he's like one of the best wrestlers ever in MMA. Um, sure. 
His takedown defense is unbelievable. I know Hen and Burrell's statistics, I think, are slightly higher. It doesn't matter. Jose Aldo fought incredible wrestlers. Uh, do, you, do you remember um, the work of uh, former Bloody Elbow contributor Mike Reardon, Coach Mike? That sounds, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds really familiar, yes. Yeah, he, he, hasn't, he hasn't written for us for a while, but I used to love uh, Coach Mike. So he used to do a series called The Fact Grinder, um, and he did, like, wrestling history breakdowns. Yes, course, yeah. Yeah, of course, Ed Gallo now does fantastic right. wrestling coverage that's, that's uh, similar in some ways. But Mike did like a breakdown of, for example, Yoel Romero's whole uh, amateur wrestling career. And actually, he was a professional wrestler, too, weirdly. Not like a WWE, but he got paid in Germany to, to do uh, like scholastic-style right. wrestling, freestyle wrestling. That's um, right. Anyway, Coach Mike, th- this, this has stuck with me forever because he knows wrestling really, really well. He is an actual coach. He does really good analysis. He really understands the competition side as well as the technical side. And I still remember him saying, with like this, just the um, emphasis of utter amazement, Jose Aldo beat Chad Mendez in pure wrestling exchanges. He didn't, because um, there's a lot of ways in MMA that you can sort of cheat specialists, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, maybe I'm not as good at um, breaking down posts to stay on top of you as you are at getting up. But if I can punch you in the face if I can go outside the lines of what is actually wrestling, then I can make my wrestling appear more effective. You can always compensate by bleeding into other phases. Um, Jose Aldo just straight up out-wrestled Chad Mendes, who could easily be on this list. Yes, yeah. Um, One of the greatest athletes in MMA history, and also one of the most credentialed and impressive wrestlers we've ever seen in this sport as well. And two times, I mean, Chad Mendes had the benefit of losing. Uh, to to learn from his mistakes but in the first fight all he had was his wrestling and he went so hard to try to get Aldo down not even a chance and on the subject of cheating actual cheating that's a famous example too yeah (laughs) oh Oh, yeah totally totally first Mendez fight and then even parts of the second Mendez fight like I remember rooting I I was rooting so hard for Mendez Connor you would have thought that I was Ed Gallo you know what I'm saying like I was rooting that hard. I was standing that hard from shouts to Ed, and obviously, Chad, you're right, could be on this list. Um, but, like, I, I can't remember what it was, but I remember, like, toward the end of the round, like, I think Aldo took some time. He's like, oh, yeah, I did that classic. Like, oh, I think that was a foul. Hold on, let me give me a second. Give me a second. And then what? I don't understand. I think he did that. I don't understand. I don't understand. Like, you understand what he's saying, you son of a... And, you know, and again, not to... Not to uh, that, that, you know, I, 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 not to tar- target out somebody who, you know, speaks a different language or anything like that, but... It was a convenient excuse for a lot of the people on these lists to suddenly forget how to speak the language that was agreed <laughs> upon and forget that, like, Herb was just explaining you these rules in the rules meeting, like, before you went out there. Like, he knows what you you understand and don't. <laughs> but they're out there yeah. going, what? Huh? As they walk away. Oh. Or they don't they, yeah. they deny, deny ref eye contact with the, the, the refs trying to run protocol and assess, and the, the, the fighter will get fouled, and they'll immediately run away just to give themselves more time. <laughs> you know You know that move, Connor, right? Yeah, of course. It's great. It's great. Yeah, it's all gamesmanship, man. It's all part of it. You wouldn't, <laughs> like, everybody talks about MMA being a, uh, all of these people who complain about cheating are also the people who talk about it being a simulated death match. Yes, What yeah. would you do in a death match? But, gee, you would do absolutely everything to win. Absolutely. If it's supposed to be a simulation of your life being on the line, then I get it. But here's the thing. Jose Aldo is so athletic. Like, the takedown that he stopped with that fence grab, 
it was hit 10 seconds later. Mendez yeah. got him off his feet. He'd already been warned, so he didn't reach for the fence again. Guess what happened? He popped right back up to his feet. Because <laughs> that's what always happens. Whenever anyone completes a takedown, they never control him. Wasn't um, that the time where he does the hip thing too, where like you see him like hip bridging, like it's a drill, like it's a ju- like it's one of those drills you do in the beginning yeah. of jujitsu class, where you're like, okay, it's that. And he, but he's doing it in an actual fight and against Mendez, who again, I think people should forgive us. Similarly, why they should forgive us for Randleman or your fate or over Randleman is because when their contemporaries meet head to head and the other guy clearly wins, then we know who the better athlete is, or the you know, yeah, and yeah. and, and not discrediting Mendez, is- but. Just saying that, no, or at least uh, they've they've channeled their athleticism better, I guess. Or yeah, say, yeah, there we go, more effective. Or at least you know, like 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 rankings, right? They say uh, rankings are tough. When one guy holds a head to head battle uh, over the other one, that'll give him the extra bump. Okay, that makes sense, yeah. and that's kind of the logic I think we went with with a lot of these. Yeah. I think that's just the logic of competition in general. You got to do that. But yes, yeah, sir. that little he get that whizzer and then just bumping the hips back and forth. Chad Mendez knows that move. Yep. He he stop it. He's expecting it to happen. Couldn't stop it. All right, on that note, as I, again, timestamp in there for myself and the audience, right? Um, it's number two time for me, and I was worried I was going to sink your battleship, and I'm trying to be all courteous, but really, I think we're going to get out of here okay because, uh, well, it depends, Connor. You tell me. Is durability, power, all those things, athleticism, but someone's length of frame doesn't really make them athletic, does it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's wishy-washy, because I think you could argue whether or not durability is like athleticism as we generally use the term. Right. There are guys that we don't consider athletic who are very durable. Very uh, true, very true. It, it is how you like use I it. I, I don't think Carlos Condit was a great athlete, so mm-hmm. to speak. I think he was a little cumbersome, a little ungainly, a little awkward, not super fast, not super powerful, but god damn, the man had Probably one of the, arguably the best chin ever. Yeah, his, his durability and length really helped him there. And this so guy's... You could call it. You could call any physical attribute athleticism if you want. Make the case. Well, I'll call it... I'll, 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 how about this? He's got athleticism, although I believe that's fading, my number two. But his length, I would say, exists more on cheating. Although he's yet to compete in heavyweight, he is still close into that North Division where having certain skills already sets you apart. Having certain athleticism, like his football player brothers, that is John Jones for my number two, of course, sets him apart. I would argue that length is cheating, not just because it is so long in such a ignorant sport time where he came up in, in such a you know shallower division with aging legends at the time. Not to play that revisionist history game, but follow me for a second, but also because he used that length to cheat, to poke in the eyes, something that there's a massive sample size of, including him, on a documentary called The Hurt Business, even admitting that he does it in purposely full to cheat. Like, John Jones has no problem admitting it. And I like that John Jones. At least he's being honest. Um, That's everyone's favorite John Jones, because everyone knows John Jones is he's a piece of shit. Yeah. So the John Jones who's just like, yeah, I'm a bad dude. Yeah, I just want to win. I don't care about other people. Just, uh, let me ask you this. So if chin and reach count, does sociopathy count as athleticism? Yeah, because, uh, yeah, I mean, because it, it is because you already have, like, God-given gifts of, like, length. You have athleticism. You have, you know, a, a big camp getting behind you. You have, you know, uh, Dana White giving you the treatment that he used to do to Rampage and other guys when they got into legal troubles. You know, you got the whole cleanup crew yeah. trying to keep your image clean. Like, you have everything available to you that, that so many people don't. 
And it wasn't just, you know, working hard. That was another thing with the GSP thing and why he's an athlete. Because, like, GSP wasn't the only guy, folks, that was independently skills training. Even back then. Like, Newsflash, a lot of guys worked hard. Uh, Newsflash, yeah. a lot of guys skill trained. It didn't make the difference. Sorry to tell you that. But, uh, yeah, Jones had all these things, the intangibles and the on-paper stuff. But yet, the fact that he still felt the need to cheat even got people like me, you know, it, it dug up the old purist in me, Connor, where I was like, that is just cheat, man. <laughs> this guy is this just cheating. Right. I'm and, the guy who loves cheating, and I'm like, come on, John. <laughs> like, do you need to be kicking their knees out and destroying their ACLs? Like, you could you could beat them and retain your title without ruining their career or vision. You know that, right? Just saying. Just be subtle. Just be subtle, you know, at least. Jose did that. He did that one fence grab in that one fight. It was his only cheat. He made it count. You know, he picked his moment, he made it count. John Jones is just out here cheating willy-nilly. So, so let me ask you a question that I probably already know the answer to, but maybe it's my excuse to uh, <laughs> get on someone, which I, I really hate to do because the officials don't get enough credit. But who do you get more mad at now when John Jones pokes an eye? Him pretending, even though there's all this footage, including his own actual admissions, pretending to go, oh, yeah, oh, what, like, like this? You want this? Or Herb Dean, like, I'm guessing genuinely, explaining the rules because who knows where Herb Dean's fucking head is at like you didn't like you don't realize this is the guy that's request you for a reason Herb because you're, you're lax on this shit I think Herb half the time is like he's so very indecisive that like when he's supposed to be deliberating on the eye poke he's like should I have worn these shoes <laughs> I don't know I don't know if this was the right call that man never feels good about a decision he makes no um, no yeah, I mean, I guess you could be more mad at the referees. It feels like a big give, giving a bit of a pass to John. It just, um, I, I'm just blown away by this, Connor. Like, how is, and I said this before the Reyes fight, like, and I'm not trying to be that person or, like, cry baby or cry foul, but, like, if you're, like, a, again, you, you want to exercise all means to possible to win, especially if you're fighting a guy like Jones for a title, how is a coach not gone to a commission ahead of time and been like, it's not that hard to do, and you'll have, the, the stats will be in your side, by the way, you just tally up all the times that he's eye poked just within the UFC and tally up the times that he's gotten reprimanded for it. Then you remind them that the, the warning, by the way, folks, actually technically happens in the locker room. That is technically the yeah. warning. So points actually, if a ref, you're like, oh, wow, this ref's not playing around tonight. No, that's actually the ref going by what they should be doing. They should be taking points right away, whether you like it or not, folks. Yeah. That's actually in the rules. Like I don't know how no one has just stated that and then add to the layers like this is... The reason why I'm showing you this is because we really don't want Herb Dean in there. Because say what you will, whether you like John McCarthy or not, John McCarthy was honest. He's like, John John specifically asked me not to be in there because I call him on his shit. And you, you, yeah. you, you, you got to agree with Big John whether you like him or not. That That's very easy to believe. Um, yeah, and, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and so, like, and I don't know. With, how, uh... But, yeah, I, I just oh. I don't know how someone hasn't made that argument to be like, don't give us Herb, and whoever you give us, they are taking a point on the first eye poke. Well, maybe they have. I mean, you, you certainly hear about those discussions from boxers. Um, you hear a lot more about yes. the negotiations around fight contracts and the, the various stipulations like, oh, we want to have uh, this. The hand wrapping has to be done in front of us. Um, it's pretty, pretty standard in boxing for, I mean, the fighters have to inspect uh, each other's gloves or their camps get to inspect each yeah. other's gloves yeah. and all these things. And they also will quibble frequently about about weight class rules, about rehydration rules, um, and about who gets to ref the fight. And I think that's because boxers, uh, there are a million boxers who have no leverage whatsoever uh, that are just as, the vast majority of boxers are just as shit out of luck as the majority of MMA fighters. 
Uh, but you hear about it more because the big deal boxers do have a lot of leverage. Um, like as far as employees go of the promotions, they have way more leverage than even I think anyone other than Conor McGregor has in the MMA world. And so I just think maybe it does happen and we just don't know that fighters don't have any sway over who refs their fight, that the commissions and the promotions are just like, ah, eh, shut up. Like you get who you get. Well, Connor, the Diaz brothers were smart enough with their, all their boxing savvy to uh, negotiate someone watching the hand wrappings. However, because they were the Diaz brothers, they chose that person to be Jake Shields. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> like, how, how, did you share this opinion of Jake Shields, by the way? Uh, and I actually don't like the tweeting thing now because it's taking away this illusion I had of Jake Shields, which was, and you can go back and watch any tape. You can watch, I think even like Gravaka Hitman like signed off on it when he saw him, like, there just as an attendance to a fight. But Jake Shields, no matter what the situation, he looks like he's perpetually lost. Yeah, Always. He looks confused, sort of like uh, scared. Yes. A little scared. Like like he's like bewildered. He doesn't know where his mom went. Jake Shields is, I know he's like an ass and he has dumb politics and everything, but he's still a hero of mine because you want to talk about people who went way farther than they should have despite lacking athletic ability. Well, well I haven't... <laughs> I, I have a theory on that, and I'm trying to clean up my wordage to not be so of the 90s era that I grew up, so I try not to use certain things like the R word. But uh, let's Rad. just say I think that he gets his strength from special places. Uh, let's just say I, 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 you know, I, I, I've talked about Team Spectrum before with uh, Ben from the Fight Site, and Jake Shields would be on that team. I would nominate him, let's just say. He seems like there's something special about him that's a bit off, but he, he makes it work. You know what I'm saying? Like He, he draws strength uh -huh. from it. I'm gonna get myself in trouble here. I'm gonna shut up. You're talking about. You're talk I don't. I didn't realize that we weren't allowed to say radical anymore. That's the R word I was saying in the '90s. I think Jake Shields is pretty radical. Me too, especially since he's training more at Extreme Couture, and uh, I don't need to show up there after this pandemic and him go, ah, oh, Team Spectrum, huh? <laughs> like, oh shit! <laughs> what is Jake Shields, by the way? Who's he threatening with this gesture? I don't know. It was very, you know, maybe very 90s. That's even like 80s. That's very like uh -huh. confrontation. Hmm. Yeah, I'm just saying Jake Shields is the last guy that I would be threatened by him doing this. I don't think he could even hurt his other hand, you know? And besides, he's got that like hendo, like wooden inside leg kick wind up before he throws any punches anyway. So yeah. you got to tell there's a tell there. Mm -hmm. Start running yeah. before he gets his hands on you. Yeah, the king of the bap. <laughs> so good, so good. But uh, wow, this is I, this is where I get myself off track. But yeah, John Jones, I, I put out because again, you know, it, it, it's just so hard not to. It felt like you were just all. It, even as a fan, it felt like all my insecurities of childhood were just creeping up, and I was just like, get the bully, just get him. <laughs> it's not fair. Yeah. yeah, that was the most crushing thing too. It's something about it, man. I, you know, I, I've, I've fallen out of love with DC a little bit. More exposure to him and his own views and beliefs. Mm -hmm. And uh, certainly him, you know, speaking of eye pokes, him crying about Stipe eye poking him is one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Um, but uh, I had so much sympathy for DC when he fought John Jones because yeah. you know what John Jones did when he won that fight the first time? I'm going to show you the gesture right now. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, uh, that one that is this man is literally he is a, a sociopath in arrested development he's a 13 year old forever that's his immediate instinct for this old distinguished veteran of, of multiple combat sports this Olympian 
was to do the, the, the Crash Bandicoot suck it crotch chop. What I mean, after he did the, after he arguably did the most insulting thing you could do to a guy like DC, which was take him down and then deny him takedowns. Like, yeah. as if that wasn't, like, already the twisting of the heart, you know, to a wrestler uh-huh. like that. I don't know if you ever watched Louis before Louis C.K. got canceled, but uh, there's an episode where he just gets, like, beaten up by some teenagers in front of a date. <laughs> yes. And yes. that's what I know Daniel Cormier had that exact thing. Oh, like, that's a good reference. This immature little shit. Just yes. And by the way, that freeze frame on the DX Suckit, I picture that. And the other thing that comes in a frame all the time, which again, uh, previous point proving it right of yours, Connor, a very confused Herb Dean. So confused. Like he's like, am I yeah. am I calling this fight? Is this fight over? What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> so I don't confused. Know. Yeah, Jones is another interesting choice though. Like like John Lineker, I don't know. Because I, I usually, when I'm saying athleticism, like I said, it's the, the explosiveness, the timing, these... Yoel Romero type stuff. And you talk um, about your previous point. And you talk about your previous point of not wanting to change, right? That could be John Jones of reluctancy of going to heavyweight and back to the DC and I poke point. Maybe that's why now he's going. He's like, wait a minute, the two best guys are are, are the, the the titles being decided by I pokes up there. I think now's the time. <laughs> yeah, uh, but he doesn't have a lot of those other athletic things. Like he's not. I mean, you've seen him try to dunk a basketball. No. Yeah. 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 Looks- he looks like a star basketball player. He has the perfect build, uh, and he can't do it. Like he's not athletic in the way. Um, who's his? Who's his? Who's the best of his two brothers? Yeah, Chandler? yeah, and I bet you they're much more confident than he is too. Like I feel like yeah. it's a really false confidence, which is probably why so many of us sus- were suspect of Jones even before he kind yes. of divulged who he was. And uh, it reminds me, maybe because I just watched the Tiger Woods doc, but he reminds me of like a Tiger Woods character where you have all this skill and drive clearly, but there's just there's this clear insecurity of not being sure you belong that yeah. probably comes out when you're with the boys. I, I, I have to wonder, uh, I strongly suspect his brothers developed their confidence um, on a young John Jones. Yeah, beating the crap out of him, that's for dang sure. Probably. Uh, but certainly like Chandler, I think it's Chandler Jones, he is like, when I talk, talk about capital A athleticism, he has it. He's, he's big, but he's way too fast. He's super strong. Uh, all these things. Jones doesn't have, like, that insane agility or ability to, like, leap around and shock people with speed. But physical attributes are so clearly, uh, like, the foundation of what he does. Uh, he has an amazing chin. He's incredibly confident. Um, even when he's been, like, completely surprised by an opponent outperforming his expectations, which has happened several times, He's still insanely confident. And of course, true, the reach. True, very he true. He wouldn't be John Jones without the reach. Yep. It insulates, it insulates a lot. All right, so is your improvised number one the same as mine? Excuse me, my number one. I guess that's the question now, right? It would be interesting if I talked myself into it. I hope we, it would be kind of cool if we didn't have any crossover. I mean, it, we almost, we, we technically did, but. It would be, but uh, let's see. Who's, it is your turn, so uh, let's let's see what you what you got for number one. See if you can sink the battleship, or if we go go different ways. All right. Well, it was going to be Yoel. Okay. I decided instead to slot in somebody who fought Yoel famously two times, Robert Whitaker. Wow. Okay. I Robert like Whittaker, this. As as a welterweight, Robert Whitaker was just celebrated for technique. Um, he came in and it's, you know what I mean? Like he comes in with this, this, this low guard, this relaxed looking boxing style. He's beating people with his jab, with counter punches. Um, you're like, Oh, this guy's a technician. 
And then you see what happens when he like stops restricting his body from doing what it wants to do, growing in the way it wants to grow. He blew up uh, so naturally when he went to 185. Like he went from, I don't know, probably being forced to be around like 190, 195, maybe to make 170 to like a comfortable 220 um, instantly. But much like GSP, Robert Whitaker picked up a wrestling really, really quickly. Um, this is we talked about Yoel Romero cheating his way through wrestling exchanges with his <laughs> otherworldly athleticism. Robert Whitaker beat him in wrestling. Like again, in a, in a Jose Aldo way, maybe it's easier to defend than it is to make something happen um, against concerted resistance. But even so, that's Yoel Romero. He's supposed to be able to out wrestle you. And in neither of their two fights was he actually able to out-wrestle Robert. He got him down in the first one, yep. but it didn't even get him down for a whole round. Couldn't do anything when he was down there. And the vast majority of their wrestling exchanges were Whitaker just... This is a guy who just picked up wrestling, like uh, started See. competing in it as a specialty a year before, and he's just scrambling like a maniac. So I think Robert Whitaker is an underappreciated uh, super athlete for sure. You know, and you already did the groundwork for this pick because we we, we, we hashed out GSP, who is a very similar uh, crossover archetype uh, within yeah. this context. And in the wrestling context, the crazier part about the UL thing is you don't just have one fight. You have two fights, so any excuses of, well, maybe he was having an off day. It was two fights, and if anyone was having an off day, the first fight, uh, he had the, the busted leg early yeah. in the first round, so he was doing it on one good leg. And the second fight, yeah. he was doing it half-conscious because most of the wrestling happened after he like was rocked or something in that slew yeah. maelstrom and toward the later rounds. So he was tired, deep into fights, and half-conscious and still fending off wrestling, which is pretty bananas yeah. to think about. This is a guy who had just started doing like wrestling specialist training um, to the degree that he was competing in the Australian you know, like amateur wrestling circuit. And by the way, this is the Australian amateur wrestling circuit. No shade to a, to our friends from down under, but not exactly known for their wrestling. It's a kickboxing and boxing country, you know? Um, and yet, yeah, he's in there with the, the way you put it, I like instinctively, like not even thinking clearly, instinctively, he has already gotten it into his muscle memory or he just has a natural feel for these exchanges that half conscious, he's just not letting Yoel Romero out-wrestle him. There's that one scramble in their second fight where Romero gets in, um, he shoots him and spins to like a like a tight waist, like a oh, rear waist cinch. Yeah. And and they're just like twirling around each other like, like I don't know, two planetary bodies like narrowly missing. Um, it's like a 30-second wrestling exchange with both guys just adapting on the fly to each other and it's, it's neutral because Yoel can't out-wrestle him. Yeah, there's a drill we we would do in wrestling that was kind of similar where someone would be like almost like in a four point and you were balancing your, your stomach over and you work on spinning around your target like that and you would take turns and you'd almost get yourself really dizzy, but they were like flowing off it in a way that you could not improvise nor really plan out. Like it was just there. Yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So was, I think, uh, you know, not, not wouldn't be my first choice, but I think he's a very worthy pick uh, and is clearly a, a free. Dude. I'm surprised my number one has stayed intact, unmolested this whole time somehow. Um, I feel like I feel it. Is it another heavyweight? No, man. It's the complete opposite of the spectrum. Okay, let's hear it. That's right. Uh, cue the Mission Impossible music if that gives it a gives it any cue. Because this guy, you know, felt like Mission Impossible sneaking through this list and not getting hit. I feel like 
even though it is 125 pounds, he packs in both athleticism and cheater in a perfect blend. That is Davison Figueredo, Dice Duguera, uh, the God of War. And so I know no, I didn't even I didn't even think of Figueredo, even though I call him Flyweight Romero. Yes, <laughs> Romero was yes. One. You guys, I believe, are the ones who originated that comparison. Yes, and like I, I totally like he. It, and, and by the way, late entry because he 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 you know get uses his clout to get his brother in, which doesn't factor in the athletic cheater. That's just thing you do in the industry, right? But late entry when Francisco Figueredo, you know, hashtag Figgy stalls. Whoever came up with that one on Twitter, um, like you hear. I don't know if you you watched this fight or heard the commentary, but DC is like laugh. And I know DC rubs people wrong way, especially on commentary. But it's very endearing. Like, he's really, like, doing the DC, like, giggle. Like, in the way where it's not that, not the one that he abuses for every answer. But, like, it was one of those really genuine giggles. And he explain, He goes to explain it to himself. He goes, look at Davison. He's staying, he's acting like he's lost. Like, Davison Figueredo was acting like he was lost as a corner man. Just to stall to give his, his brother more breathing room. Like, a, such an obvious tactic. Like, not ripping an ice bag, but, like, actively just standing and looking around and ignoring ignoring the official just to break more time yeah. and dc is going and and you know it sounds like an assumption but dc explains he goes no no dave isn't specifically told us in this week's fighter meetings that his brother has a gas tank that he's worried about and that's his only worry <laughs> look at him he's distracting the officials to buy him more time and he's saying it right that on also, air it's great it's great. that also that also bespeaks the confidence of a true athlete cheater because like he's just doing it in the open <laughs> Like, we didn't even mention Yoel Romero's actual rule-breaking cheating uh, for your number three pick. But, like, yeah, that's the other reason he's flyweight Romero. These guys just blatantly cheat. They don't care. What What are you going to do? It's like, I think they have the feeling being in their bodies that people have when they are driving in, like, a giant lifted pickup. Yes. You know what I mean? When you're like, I hope someone else wrecks and crashes into me because I will destroy them. It just makes you feel it's like a it's like a mounted police officer. I'm like I'm a cavalryman. Like I'm eight feet taller than everyone around me. It can't do shit. That's how these people clearly feel. Yes. Davison and Yoel are like, I'm just gonna cheat in front of you. What are you gonna do? Stop me? Yeah, I was gonna say Davison is the smallest on this list, but you can't accuse him of the confidence thing we talked about because his confidence is full board, baby. And really? and, and, and that and his durability. His power, but mainly that stupid durability, it seems to be doing nothing but fueling him as he is, yes, an active champion as we're recording this, folks. <laughs> yeah, but also the sort of, um, the sort of, um, the, the proprioception, the timing, mm. those things oh, yes. stand out so strongly. His counters. Like, yeah, you're supposed to, like, throw combinations in striking. You know what I mean? You're supposed to, like, use other one punch to set up a different punch. Davison just like throws single punches as leads and he's just like uh well I know how this guy's gonna move in advance he's gonna move in this direction I can feel precisely where his chin is gonna be I don't have to hide this punch because he's scared I know everybody's scared of me uh that's why I can get away with cheating blatantly um so I'm just gonna throw he's gonna react the way scared people react and I'm gonna know where he's gonna be it's not smart technical fighting. It is like no. a total just throwing away all the fundamentals, all the, the setup, and all the like um, defensive responsibility. No, it's just like I know what I want to hit, and I'm just going to decide to hit the target. Absolutely. Or how, how about or how about even on the ground finishes like against Perez, like yeah. the most low percentage yeah. shit. Like 
if if it was you know you know it, it, me on a basketball court, it would just be like doing the stupid jump spin move where you clearly miss and everybody laughs at you to the point where like <laughs> it's still a funny joke the next time you play because it was so bad. Yeah. Like Figueroa yeah. will do that stuff with full confidence and land it. <laughs> nail it yeah. like I'm just gonna random like that turtle position like you shouldn't hit guillotines like that and you even see Perez go there's no way he's gonna get this I'm out I'm oh he's he's got this he's got this he's got this. and he starts freaking out because it shouldn't have worked yeah it shouldn't have worked <laughs> and it just yeah it, it just shocks people by just getting away with things it's all about getting away with things I'm gonna um I'll call back to something we, we said at the very beginning of the show mm-hmm. uh another another interesting inversion I talked about how I evaluate camps based on their average guys. Uh, I think you can, by the same token, you can reverse that and evaluate somebody's athletic potential in contrast to the rest of their team, right? Like, mm. I I think now everyone's going to be uh, jumping on this ship now that he's, he's lost again and in more embarrassing right. fashion than ever. But Conor McGregor is a clear example of someone who is not representative of the talent that is otherwise produced by that team, mm. right? I don't think I'm going to shock anyone by saying that Artem Lobov and Kahal Pendred are, are neither as athletic nor as do they appear as well-schooled, which really suggests that McGregor has sort of picked up and figured a lot of this out on his own. Um, or at least he brought it to the table, a lot of the feel, the confidence that the other guys just, the coaches aren't giving them. Hmm. Um, Davis and Figueredo compared to his brother, who, you know, his clout got that man in UFC, they have the same style. But it doesn't work as well for Francisco. No. It doesn't work half as well. Um, like, Davison also gasses. He just ignores it. Yeah. <laughs> like, he care. It, just, it doesn't... Yeah, so that's a great example of where they are basically playing the same game. They have essentially been given a very similar process. They even look super similar. And yet, Davison, it just works a hundred times better. And it's it works in a way that is, like, upsetting and shocking to opponents um that he could just do whatever he wants absolutely and i'll burn this example as we turn it over to the listener uh on our way out of here to the listener list but uh i'll burn this example because i know it's not on there and it's clearly not on our list but he almost has a very Derek lewis feel you know to the his ground game in the sense of i'm just gonna okay it's cool you can take me down i'm not gonna spend all this energy defending it because i'm gonna save it for the get up and you know flex and bust out of here and then, God forbid, yep. you end up underneath either of those two gentlemen, and they have hellacious ground and pound. Yeah. So yeah. It's, no, it's, Derek Lewis definitely feels like he's walking. He's he's going through life in a gigantic pickup in a huge four by four. Right. Yes. Yeah. He has yeah. No fear. The moment he figured that out, how that applied to MMA was when he was like, "I am going to enter a Zen meditative state when people take me down, conserve my energy because I know I can just get up." And also, he fights like. I know I'm going to knock this dude out at some point. Yeah. All I have to do is just exist, yes. and I'll always have that chance. And he always talks. What? Oh, oh, no, I was going to say he always talks shit about like how he doesn't train, and you can't ever believe him. But he does kind of fight like he does train like a half hour a week to his credit. Just want to add <laughs> yes, that he really does. He really does. Yep. And yet, yeah, he's 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 overachieved, man. And a hey, hats off to him there. All right. Um, Get your honorable mentions ready, but also be prepared to weigh in on these lists, Connor, as we go through. Uh, Fighting with myself podcast at FWM underscore pod. I'm so bad at reading the names there. Um, Thank you for submitting. He says, uh, Michelle Prezeres. We didn't mention his name. His name didn't come up. That's an interesting one. 
Uh, he's Mindy Verdum, who did, couldn't make weight at, at, at lightweight. He beat uh, Gilbert Dohino Burns. You know who I'm talking about there? Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah, um, yeah. I like Mizel Bezerish, actually. I think he's he's a he's a he's a fun fighter. Tractor man, yeah, that guy's an athletic mm-hmm. freak too. And I'm sure there was a, uh, I'm sure there was a, uh, you know, a lot of those uh, a lot of those uh, questionable moments in some of his fights too. I, I wouldn't doubt, as I, you know, broadly stereotype and take a shot at the guy. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> Michael Venom Page, I, I think... sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, that's an interesting one, Michael Venom Page. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. These are some these are some interesting picks. They, these aren't the guys. Again, I, I think I, I sort of just uh, fall into having a pretty narrow conception of what capital A athleticism is. Right. Um, right. And these guys, like, they don't have the look. They don't have the. Uh, I mean, Preserish kind of he does, although he's tiny. He's a he's a Sean Shirkley, a Sean Shirkley sort of man. Yeah. Shout out to the muscle shark. About that proprioception point, right? Kind of with Paige, I guess. Yeah. Is that would be his strongest point? Absolutely. Yeah, the man has like a sense of timing, a feel for distance that that is genuinely very impressive. Uh, although the athletic confidence, uh, maybe a bit more of a veneer than he would like us to think, because uh, yeah. I think he would have fought a few more, you know, at this meaningful point. opponents if he was really all that confident. Yeah, at this point, and you know, uh, and I love my sport karate guys, which was kind of funny. I totally signed off on your. Uh, Kyokushin notes, uh, as I brutally pronounce it, but the reason why you'll find that kind of martial art in other places, even places that are open now, but even back in the day kind of had its had its restrictions like Russia as far as what martial arts they would allow in, um, yeah. that would be a karate style, even places like Russia who at certain points were against kind of traditional stylists. It was Kyokushin and like Wushu were like the only things they would kind of allow in there. And because that actually is more of the sport and the rougher of karate, whereas what is often from like the Michelle Watersons to the even Stephen Thompson's who I love, but what they call sport karate. It's it's kind of funny how you would associate it, but if you actually watch it, the uh, the one GSP at least the art that he comes from, what it was designed for, much rougher. Yeah, it breeds uh, a toughness in the same way that say wrestling does. Yes, like you, you have to develop mental toughness almost more than anything else. You have to accept that I'm going to get hit a lot in the body too. That that definitely yeah. makes sure. You come out the other end of that process a very tough person because body shots, as everyone knows, they really are worse than getting hit in the head. And they almost pride themselves with the way they took it, and I kind of get that school mm-hmm. of thought too because it was really dated, and I was around in the 90s, sadly. But uh, you guys, Yoel Romero, John Jones, ones we've covered, right? Um, his last on the list here I like because this made my honorable mentions, Brock Lesnar. Who beat who, Brock who, who beat a head-to-head of my number five, so you, you know I kind of went against yeah. my logic there. Um, super super obvious choice, but not. I don't mean to disparage. Like that's a right, great yeah, pick. Yeah. Who screams athletic ability more than Brock? Another guy who I think, uh, like GSP, um, succeeded in not really being all that confident. Yeah, just in spite of it, right? Yes. Brock Lesnar famously hated getting hit in the face, and he was still, uh, you know, he he went there like that win over Mark Hunt. That was a legit win. That was a good performance, you know. And yeah, so Brock Lesnar, very good pick. All right, at high. Wow. I thought I was following this guy. At high underscore light. There you go. I fixed that, sir. Rich. Yeah, Rich, man. Rich. Um, friend, friend of heavy hands as well. Uh, one of the more, yeah, uh, definitely uh, funnier Twitter Twitter follows out there, by the way. Mm-hmm. At high underscore light. The obvious answer is Yoel, who always seemed like he was a station wagon with a 10-cylinder engine, just barely able to hand, handle the power. 
Look at him in the Machida fight, barely able to keep wheels on the ground as he attaches a classic gif right there. Mm, yeah, like he's almost, you're surprised a human body isn't bursting apart at the seams with the kind of stresses he's putting it through. And, and that was my, I guess, my defense, even though I didn't really have to defend it, obviously. But like with the Shane Carwin pick where, yeah, he had no cardio, which, you know, he, he fails there. Um, and he fell off hard, but like you look at it, it's pretty straightforward. He wins and destroys everybody, including Brock Lesnar, until he doesn't and then loses to a prime, unfortunate, still durable Junior Dos Santos. And he's done with the back problems and everything because, again, to this, to the similar uh, with Rich's mention, with his note there, sometimes these guys are so athletic that their body, even their own bodies, can't take, can't take the power mm-hmm. it's producing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think that's a, a very good pick as well. Um, this P, P4 Stan, who is, I, I'm going to read as a display name, Brad Tavares would clap Robert Whitaker, <laughs> I believe. Uh, at P4 Stan says Michael Chandler, who uh, definitely is an honorable mention. I mean, he is like, you want to talk about, like, I like mentioning him as explosive because he's white and it kind of anti-racism, all the lazy commentators who go, oh, he's so explosive, Joe. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Chandler yeah, is like Michael- legit explosive. Oh, he's insane. Yeah, he's insane. He also has that thing that uh, a lot of natural athletes have, which is uh, like innately good recoverability. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's that's often a factor of conditioning as well. Is if you can uh, tire out and then get a second wind or you can get hurt, like surviving uh, knockdowns is also often a factor of conditioning. But Chandler has that thing where like you could put him in a fight that was 30 rounds and of course he'd be exhausted after five. But you would still get two terrifying minutes at the start of each round, no matter how many more you tacked on. He would just recover and be able to do something horrific to you with like the 30 to 60 seconds of energy he had regained at the break. He's scary. And good luck to you, to, to the uh, rest of the lightweight. Not that obviously he can and will be beaten. I'm not trying to do that, overhype him, but like. I, I, I just say I feel bad uh, for his competition for the fact that this guy figured out that. Uh, he's gone to the body so much more now and he can really just disguise that either, you know, up high or down low. And he found that perfect middle ground. That just seems like it's danger. Will Robinson for whoever's standing across from him now that he figured that out. It's like, it's a great example too, of getting away without uh, tremendous depth, right? Because Michael Chandler's type of athlete where he adds one switch up. Um, He's been hitting the the right hand to the body a lot more regularly. It's like that, a couple feints of the jab, and it's, it's like just having to decide, is he throwing the right hand in my head or is he throwing it at the body is enough because you know he can cover the distance to get to you. You know he's capable of surprising you, and you have to worry about both of those things actually landing. So yep. he doesn't have to really be that uh, that de- uh, developed to, uh, to have a really functional success. Yep, it's a great shout. Could have been on uh, any of our lists, and it's a lot, a lot of uh, these listener lists for good reason. He also has Jose Aldo, who we've covered and agree with. Yep. Yoel Romero, who we covered and agree with. Chad Mendez, who we covered. and I believe we gave him enough uh, due, but Chad Mendez, obviously, super, super freak athlete, just explosive dude. And, and, I mean, just one of those, like, in his prime, it felt like you, I mean, not that anybody's really taking him down still in MMA, but, like, it just feels, like, impossible to touch his legs. Like, no matter, yeah. you could get Chad Mendez with a hundred and, you know, whatever it was, flu that he had against Nick Lentz. And a more prime Nick Lentz, by the way, when he uh, wasn't quite as old, and it didn't matter. Didn't matter. Couldn't. No one could get close to him. Mm-hmm. Chad Mendes is also a guy who picked up new skills really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, him and TJ Dillashaw. No one benefited on that team more than those two under the tutelage of Dwayne Ludwig. 
And then Chad Mendez, like almost more impressively, lost that. He stuck around with Team Alpha Male, lost that coaching. It's just still pretty damn good. Yeah, and even with the uh, proprioception when he came back with those counter right hands that he was able to land, right? Like just stuff that like you probably shouldn't be doing when you're rusty, but there he was. That, uh, is that what that cream is called that he was using? Proprioception? Yeah, something like that. The name of that? Dude, I, I don't know. I legit have psoriasis, though, Connor, and if there's something that I can take that can, you know, help me in other departments as well, then bring it on, baby. <laughs> is What's there up, Chad? Skin treatment? Is there yeah. a skin treatment for my eczema that will make me look like Chad Mendez? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't realize steroidal cream was, like, steroidal in that sense, but let's do it. Fuck it. Um, yeah. uh, tape study Chuck, my man Brad Taschuk from the MMA Analysis Podcast, also hosts to this here uh, show sometimes. At Brazchuk has Randleman, who we covered, and the reason why is a great pick. But again, Fedor kind of, I guess, trumped him in our standings, but great pick. Absolutely. Uh, Can't deny it. YOLO, Yoel Romero, of course. Uh, GSP. He is the guy who has Dotson on here, so shouts to Brad for the Dotson pick. Um, anything you want to say on Dotson? I, I know you, you mentioned him. You thought that's where I was going, rightfully so, with one of them. Yeah, Dotson would be a, an honorable mention of mine for sure. He's another guy who has, um, as you said, longevity. Career longevity is a to me is just a great marker of like overall um, of pound for pound quality, mm-hmm. but it is also clearly an indicator of athletic ability. Right. Um, it's not surprising there's some crossover there. The the freakiest athletes are often also the best fighters. But um, <laughs> yeah, John Dotson even now like he's not even the man he used to be. He's still one of the fastest men in the entire sport. Uh, he's still man like. Um, why am I forgetting his name? The Georgian, Dwalish Willie. Yes, um, yeah, Marab. Who, who most recently beat him in a really smart, like, coming-of-age kind of performance. He still didn't, like, he basically only beat John Dodson because you can coke John into a, a truly negative state where he just isn't getting anything done. Yeah. Uh, and he, he's not producing any positive results. But he still, like, that was how he beat him. In the same way that, um... Volkanovski beat Aldo by like freezing. Yes, him yeah. But he still wasn't able to like out wrestle, out wrestle him. He wasn't taking him down and holding him down. No one can do that to John Dodson. Not even Demetrius Johnson. Yeah, that's very like, true. Yep, that was very true. And that was like some of the best like MMA, well, at least at one ninety one, I believe. And then toward the end of the first one too, some of the best clinch stuff as far as like interweaving mm-hmm. attacks. And he needed all of it um, just to keep mm-hmm. him occupied. It was more about keeping him occupied than controlled. Uh, which is the case with a lot of these guys, right? You got to keep them occupied negatively yeah. or overwhelm them. His last uh, selection is a admitted blind spot for us both, Connor, uh, which was the ladies, Chris Cyborg. Um, oh. When you have, you know, again, not picking on the ladies' divisions, but that's another one where just having athleticism alone is cheating, really, because you're already that much ahead of your contemporaries. Yeah, you got a, a, a relatively much thinner talent pool. And so, like, in the same way that Fedor really stood out compared to the heavyweights of the uh, early 2000s, Cyborg really stands out compared to the, especially in that division, even shallower than men's heavyweight has ever been by a good margin. Yeah, so, totally. Yeah, great shout. Um, Juice to the Gills, at Juice to the Gills. He says, Khabib cheats his athletic ass through situations that less durable slash athletic members of his team like Islam couldn't do emphasized by their the durability sure emphasized by their similar training background but one being far more successful and dominant obviously there is skill too not saying there isn't 
I think that's yeah. I'm kind of actually sad uh, that I didn't say Khabib um, because yeah that was I've been banging that drum for a while like Khabib maybe he doesn't look uh, whether it's skin tone or muscle tone he doesn't look like what some people picture when they hear athlete um, but man he's so fast he's so strong he's terrifyingly tireless uh, the timing and also nothing this is the greatest moment to go out on ever like nothing impressed me more than his fight with Justin Gaethje, um, where we, we've talked about these athletes just picking up new skills and adapting their games better than the average people can. Yeah. Me and Ed Gallo, whose wrestling expertise we've already uh, lauded, me and Ed Gallo were both like, oh, uh, Khabib doesn't hit open space takedowns, and he doesn't hit reactive doubles. Yep. Um, he's never done these things, and he's tried, and they haven't looked good. You know, So like, this is a weak part of his game that Justin needs to watch out for. Guess how Khabib won that fight? Two perfectly timed doubles in open space to get Justin Gaethje to the ground. He just picked it up because it was the right move to make in this particular fight. He's, he's an unbelievable athlete, absolutely. He's turning the corner so beautifully on those two. I was wow. of that camp as well, man. I, I said the same thing. So uh, even though I picked uh, Khabib, like, I, I almost yeah. felt like I was eating crow in certain instances because I, I didn't see, like, like playing out exactly like that for sure yeah it's one where I, you, like most people just couldn't help but be wrong because he just brings out new stuff that you just if you're an analyst who goes by past footage to make your predictions then um you just couldn't have seen it coming certainly justin gaethje didn't right and uh, and i also like that he made the comparison to islam Akhachev, yes like i have with several other fighters you can really see the difference in what a similar training environment and everything a similar structure but with just put into two different physical specimens gives you exactly this person i believe put a list in but this is funny um sigma males get pegged says at sunshine sparkle 69 by the way <laughs> getting me to read all these names god damn you guys uh, uh-huh. he says give yourself some street kid by listing drew mcfetteries drew mcfetteries is a name that i will always pop for so i had to read that off yeah it's a good shout probably not what i would have thought of but good shout um Let's see, Manos de Piedra at feet underscore work. John Jones, he agrees with me to be there. He says, he comes from a family of super athletes, has all the physical attributes, an insane chin and cardio. Usman is very strong and has endless cardio. Josh Emmett, hey, shout out Phil McKenzie, <laughs> as he grits his teeth, Also is also <laughs> an elf with inhuman attributes. Wow. Okay, I guess he's a Phil McKenzie a fan as well. Sounds like Manos de Piedra. <laughs> He's technically, I want to correct your listener there, uh, or our listener as well, I think, Sunshine Sparkle 69. I've, I've definitely heard from him before. Okay. Um, Josh Emmett is technically a Falmer or, colloquially, a snow elf, okay? <laughs> so just calling him elf is a little, it borders on racism. <laughs> Speaking of racism, if any of your, uh, I don't know if any of your other listeners kind of trickle over if we start seeing some anti-Chinese stuff, but <laughs> hopefully they don't know I'm half. We can keep that on the down low. Uh, Connor still loves half of me, folks. He still loves half of me, and I love him. So it's, it's, relax. <laughs> I love the half of you. I love the half of you that you want to and Cheeto love. <laughs> the good half. You know? The good half. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it almost as much as the Josh Emmett stuff, which honestly, one of the... the uh, I think I shared this with Phil, too, and I'll share it with the audience. But probably one of the uh, hardest times I've, I've popped, on, uh, popped just kind of listening um, to a podcast. And I can't listen to much I've made these days, mind you. Uh, so take that for a compliment. But it was when I believe it was Phil made the uh, comparison to uh, 
Mad Max Fury Road. Like he looked like one of those extras, and I was like, "Poor Josh Emmett! Yeah. Holy crap! That was yeah, so spot on." Josh Emmett is a, is a war boy, absolutely. He's a war boy. <laughs> yeah, he does what's the what's the gesture? He does this before his fights. The the V eight uh, symbol. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I, no, Josh Emmett's a great job. They're ba- these guys are basically stealing all of my uh, alternates. Uh, just hopefully that's not a problem when we get to our honorable mentions, but. Um, yeah. Josh Emmett would absolutely have been a pick of mine. I'm, I remember seeing some, to- I don't know what the article was, uh, how serious it was, but it was like some kind of recreation of some like, what some like, they, the, some creature looked like, like prehistoric, and it looked like a person, like a vampire person with wings, and it looked like Josh Emmett, and I, t- I just tagged your co-host, Phil <laughs> McKenzie, and he knew exactly what it was. He's like, oh, that's perfect. <laughs> I was like, this poor Josh Emmett. But, but yeah, yeah. Uh, he adds, uh, lastly, Jessica Andrade, Davison, Yair, mm. okay, that's an interesting one I haven't heard brought up. Yair, I'm down with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chandler, who we talked about, Alexander Rakich. Um, I gotta see more, but I could, I could, mm-hmm. I gotta see more fleshed out, but I could see that. And uh, speaking to Chinese fighters, uh, Zhang Wei Li. There we go. <laughs> an amazing athlete, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of not only just the obvious stuff, the speed, the power, um, the balance. You know, all of these things are obviously incredible. But also talking about like uh, developing a game very quickly, you're not supposed to. You're not supposed to be able to go from like what she looked like two fights before uh, to what she looked like when she fought Yuana. Yuana is a lifetime kickboxer, um, and even if Wei Zhang was had, I mean, she's been fighting since she was very young, but she's still very young. She has not had as much time to develop her game. Yeah, and she was in there adapting. Tightening up, like Khabib, tightening up punches that I had like specifically noted were weak parts of her game. Her left hook was so good in that fight in a way that it never had been before. Um, so yeah, quick, quick learning curve, uh, and obviously just incredibly, incredible physical specimen. Great shout! I missed the ladies on here, so uh, apologies uh-huh. for that. But uh, uh, last two, Benny Abs at ben- Benjamin Abrigo, who also has a uh, a good podcast there. Y'all can check out there uh, the Fixed Fight podcast with uh, Kurt. He says can't stop, won't stop loving these shows. Even if I tend to have an aff- oh, okay, oh, even if I tend to have an affinity for the fat boys rather than the athletes. I was gonna pull up because I was like I don't like to read compliments, but I'm like oh, you had a, you had a joke there. Sorry for stepping on it, Benny. I, my insecurity of compliments ruined that. Uh, but but he, he, I was like, compliment, pull up, pull up. Uh, but he goes, he goes, Lesnar, who we talked about. Rousey, another blind spot, right? You know, ladies yeah. there, athletic mm-hmm. cheaters, for sure. She didn't even have a depth, lack of depth, you know, right? Um, Absolutely, yeah. BJ Penn for real, he puts in parentheses. And I like that because we joked about the BJ Penn and George St. Pierre matchup. But it really, it was essentially two athletic cheaters from the complete opposite ends of the spectrum, yeah. right? You got yeah, the... it really was. And BJ also maybe gets overlooked uh, by by us because, uh, like Fedor, uh, he doesn't exactly have the physique yes. you associate with with supreme athleticism. But yeah, I, I mentioned that before. The part of the reason GSP's uh, win over BJ was so impressive, um, other than utterly mentally breaking him, which is something that GSP would go on to do throughout his career. Um, that's another thing. When you fight an athlete like GSP, who is also that technical, you like you're never the same again. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? You've seen the mountaintop, and you realize it's still way over your head, and you're never going to get there. So, but uh, uh, who are we talking about? Uh, BJ. Not GSP. BJ versus GSP. But BJ totally cheated with his takedown defense. Yeah. In every fight, 
up to GSP, he just got away with not having good technical takedown defense because he had great balance, balance. and flexibility. Oh, yeah. And and uh, GSP was like, no, this is how you wrestle, and and completely undid that. And, and to his credit, not just the jujitsu security, but he had he did have a developed get-up game, which was way more developed than his takedown defense mm-hmm. um, that people would actually mm-hmm. build off of. But to that point, he almost had like an M. Night Shyamalan career, right, where you start off so hot and everybody wants you to recreate that same trick. <laughs> And granted, he was <laughs> obviously destined to shoot himself in the foot no matter how hard he worked, as clearly as his personality was, would reveal. But mm-hmm. speaking strictly as a fighter, like, it, it was like, because again, you, you, you learn to wrestle by, like, you know, you learn jiu-jitsu by the Gracies and you become the first American, you know, to earn the gold medal. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, talk about having a hard act to follow. Then it's like, oh, I got to learn to wrestle for MMA? Oh, what, this guy Matt Linlin and this team called Team Quest wants to teach me to wrestle? Like, in their prime run? Like, you couldn't have learned a better place to wrestle and from that, you've got like yeah. guys like Couture, who was campaigning at heavyweight and light heavyweight, going on UFC commentary when he was still a regular third man in the booth going, dude, I'll, I'll be real. I had a hard time getting him down, and I could not keep this kid down. And that's a, a good technical yeah. MMA wrestler like Couture. And as great as that is, and as much as us you know, BJ Fen fans back in the day love to have championed those things, it's kind of what ruined him because, he, like to your point, Connor, he was like, oh, I don't got to work on this stuff. And when he ran into yeah. a guy that just pushed his shit in like GSP the second time around, it really, I mean, he, he had two great fights. I don't want to write those off after that, but it, that really kind of set a, set a ceiling. Yeah, that's why, that's, I think that's why I really don't like BJ, like, uh, personally, too, is, like, he's spoiled in every way, right? Like, God, God, these we've been talking about people who are arguably spoiled by their own natural talents throughout this entire episode. BJ is spoiled that way and economically. He's never had to try ever. <laughs> Everything has come easily yes. to him. Yes, uh, that is Michael true. Michael Night Shyamalan, who started his career making a movie about a guy who was made of glass. <laughs> BJ Penn has now. <laughs> hey man, I like Unbreakable. <laughs> it's a good movie. Yeah, it's certainly a better, uh, better viewing experience than the videos we've seen at BJ Penn outside of the Lava Shack. Various Hawaiian. Yeah, the Lava Shack. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. Sounds like a joke, but it's not. It's sad. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> it is. Oh yeah, it is. Uh, he's, he, he, uh, I think that was the last one of his. And then uh, we go to uh, hey Tommy Elliott at Moy Cowboy uh, there on Twitter. Um, no one ever says GSP, but they should. Well, Connor didn't let you down. That's right. And actually, I saw I responded to, to Tom's post there. I think I. I uh, GSP is absolutely a great athlete, and, and Tom knows you don't want to let the guys who, who also happen to be like smart and well trained get away uh, with being. They're already getting away with all the other stuff. Don't let them get away without being called a cheater. So good shot, Tom. Absolutely. All right, that ends listener list. Before we get out of here, anybody that they, they, that they didn't mention that you wanted to give a shout to, Connor? I would have mentioned Chad Mendez. I would have mentioned Josh Emmett. I would have mentioned John Dotson. Um, there was one other I just thought of. Give me a moment. Do you have any honorable mentions? Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought Francis Ngannou might come up, even though he's an obvious oh, yeah. and kind of a near. I, I usually try not to, despite the Figueredo number one, I try not to get too current, but it is what it is. Uh, Mark Kerr, kind of. It, that was a, when I was looking to reach back, but, you know, that's that's a, that's a far-reaching back. Uh, I put Absolutely. Melvin Gillard. I wanted to give him a shout because he was a super just athletic archetype. Yeah. And Matt Hughes was the last Very one. Perfect. All very strong picks. MMA has given us a lot of dirty cheaters. Yes. Uh, <laughs> over the course of this sports lifetime. Man, I had one more and now it's lost to me. But you know what? I'll be spending the rest of my life yelling about these people and cursing them 
for being born with what I was not. So I think that'll do. Hey, man, I'm just happy I got a Dr. Moreau and Darwin's waiting room reference in on the podcast, you know? So uh, <laughs> yeah. hopefully I won't get tracked down by Cheek Shields next time I go into Extreme Couture or any of these other fighters, but that is that is the risk you run to give you the, the, the this god-awful and <laughs> honest, awesome, whatever you want to say it, but uh, it's hardcore content, folks. That's what you come here for. That's what you get, baby. That's right. The real <laughs> nerd shit. That's, real. that's what we're bringing to you. I'm sorry to associate you with me with, by, by, with any of those, by the way. But yes, me, me, and, me and Connor, if it's not apparent by this episode and topic, we kind of appreciate the same types of fighters. So that's why, uh, yes. <laughs> that's why I love you, sir. And people should, uh, if not love you, at least go check out and support your work, man. Anything um, you want to plug on the way out of here? Otherwise, I will forcefully plug your, your, your spots because people should, uh, should follow you if they're not already. Yeah, it's actually great if you don't love me. It's actually better if you hate me and still give me money, right? Because like I said, fuck the fans. And I like when the fans also say, fuck this guy making this crappy content. (laughs) (laughs) Bring it on. Give me your money and your vitriol. Uh, You can check out the Heavy Hands podcast. You can find my writing on bloodyelbow.com. And do make sure if you want to hear bonus episodes. In fact, I've got one sitting in Audacity right here ready to be posted that you check out the Heavy Hands Patreon. This will be our third bonus episode for this month, which is admittedly better than we sometimes manage. Um, my organizational skills, another area in which I'm just not as gifted as I really be, when you think about it. Buy his merch. <laughs> buy merch. Oh, yeah. Buy a, sh- buy a shirt. Um, please buy a shirt. Go to Redbubble, uh, the Heavy Hands store, and you can find a link in all of our uh, YouTube posts uh, of the episodes and everything. So, Heavy hands, Patreon, merch, all that stuff. Apologies for stealing a, a, a line from your podcast. I just I, that was the one link I didn't have written down here, so I had to like try to trigger you to give give it out. So I was like, I'm just gonna shoot that out. Hopefully, I don't even know how to link it. I don't even know what <laughs> link actually gets you to the store page. I'm just like go to Redbubble and search heavy so- hands. Like now that we've sold a few shirts, like I think it actually shows up at the top of the results. So that should work. Uh, and we got to have you on heavy hands soon dan since you appreciate the same kind of awful uh, underprivileged underprivileged fighters that phil and i appreciate we got to have you on uh maybe for that exact topic that would be great hey if if if, uh you know one of one of five off weeks the ufc now gives us every year maybe we'll maybe we'll we'll get together on one of them but it's 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 pretty good i know yeah right (laughs) that actually feels like the truth that doesn't even feel like a joke does it that doesn't even feel like a joke but (laughs) No, no i'm i'm shocked that we're getting um we have this weekend off. Yeah. Which I, I was like, once they get, they gave us four weeks off around the holidays. Once they get rolling again, it's going to be nonstop. And we have the first, so far, first weekend of April's free too. It's that, it's that, it's that edging, like it's that, it's that UFC edging schedule, baby. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, uh, <laughs> which is apropos of the tone of this podcast, sadly. Um, no, seriously, thank you for joining on the off week, Connor. It was a blast having you. Uh, as per usual, we went we went long, but that means it was a good show, and uh, I certainly had a good time. So take that for what it's will uh, for for what it's worth. Uh, and again, follow as you can see in the bottom of the screen at Boxing Bush. It's kind of the easier place to follow him on Twitter. He posts all the stuff there, uh, as well as do I. You can find me at Dan Tom MMA. Thank you guys for using the click-through links. I'm not going to read through them here, uh, but thank you for using them at MixedMartialAnalyst.com. If you want to ease your conscience uh, for any Amazon purchases or on it purchases, you can ease those with the click-throughs there. Otherwise, I appreciate your sh- shares, likes, subscriptions down below, and just genuine support. Y'all are awesome. And uh, until the fights start, until next time, protect your neck. 
Are there still people watching live? <laughs> well, how are you guys doing now? Are you enjoying the show so far? I've had a fun time. Dan's a nice guy, don't you think? Hmm. What do you think he's getting delivered? Let's go ahead and guess. Uh, pure Romance. Something from PureRomance.com. That's my number one guess. Dan seems like that that type of guy. By which I mean a romantic. I think he's a he's a very sentimental, um, uh, uh, caring, you know, a caring lover. That's what I think about Dan Tom. When I look into his eyes, I think this man, you know, he wants to make sure everyone leaves happy. And honestly, he doesn't even want you to leave that much. That's the really great thing about Dan is, uh, you know, you leave in the morning, but Dan is still, he's just happy you were there. That's what I really feel about him. Oh. Hey, Dan. <laughs> hey, what's going on? Hey.